Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. And we're back for season eight. Here we are. <laughs> 2019. Woo! Uh, yeah, yeah, man. That break felt really, really long to me. I don't know about really? you. Yeah. Well, oh, you wanted another week. <laughs> I did. No, no, I, 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 I went to, I went to Florida, so that kind of made it a little weirder because it was like whenever you travel someplace, time just flies. So. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. So how was Florida? Warm. It's <laughs> different. Yeah. I went on a riverboat tour to go, and I found um, wild alligators. Oh no shit! All right. There you yeah, go. They would not. They would not let me get out of the boat to go and say hello. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't think it was that big of a deal, did, but whatever. Did, did you tell him or them that you are Morelia Python radio host here? I, I said that, and they looked at me like I was insane. I don't think we have the reach that we think we do. So, um, <laughs> damn it! I was told, sir, please sit down, and no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> So it was, you know, I guess uh, we'll have to work on that for this season. Right. But um, no, dude, it was cool. I went and saw uh, there were manatees um, uh, at this one place that we went to. So and that they're not reptiles, but it's still cool to see tons of birds and stuff like that. But it was a it was a nice time. It was just a kind of relaxed little kind of getaway. So it was cool. Nice. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Um, yeah, um, <clears throat> I've been. uh I've been busy uh, working on some stuff behind the scenes, but uh, we are going to make some uh, some announcements tonight, um, and then we'll get into it with uh, Ian Bissell from S&J Reptiles. We're going to be talking about the Southeast Carpet Fest and some chondra, well, basically arboreal snakes. <laughs> that's, that's the way mm-hmm. to sum it up. Um, you know, uh, chondros and tree boas and all kind well basically all kinds of tree boas um okay. but, but uh before we do that um we were tr- uh, so 2019 you know everybody has uh new starts and all that kind of stuff so i thought that we're going to try to uh get the uh, well let me back this up. There was a post uh, sometime over the break and it talked about MP and uh, I think, I think I want to say that Dave Kelly made it and he like missed the whole MP feel. And I was like, you know, I do. <laughs> and that, and, and, that, you know, and that, he, he spoke to you. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. So, that's right up your alley. So me and Scott Borden were, you know, and all, and all the old MP people were, were chatting away on it and whatnot and saying, you know, how it would be cool. But, you know, basically <laughs> Scott's, Scott posted something. He's like, if only the forums could make it so that it was much easier to upload pictures and post and contact people. And I was like, yeah, they did. It's called Facebook, you know? Yeah. So if only radio could have images, they, they, it's called television. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. We can't yeah. go back now. We're too far right. forward. So yeah. Right. So as much as I would love for everybody to go back to MP, uh, you know, I've just embraced the fact that that's not going to happen. You know, who knows? Maybe it will be in, in it will be cool uh, in like 10 years from now or something like that. But <laughs> be right now, you got to wait for yeah, it to come back around. Yeah. yeah. I was into forums before there was forums, you know. Forums, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So anyway, we sort of have basically the MP family for the most part over on Murray Pick of the Week. So I was like, well, yes. why don't we try to just knock that up a notch and really try to focus on making that better? So um, uh, first of all, Owen and I, you know, we're sort of busy and we wanted to bring somebody on that could help us, uh, you know, take care of business and whatnot and moderate it mm-hmm. and help us out with all kinds of stuff. So um, we are going to welcome Riley Jimison uh, from Riley's Reptiles to, uh, yeah. to come on and help us with that, which is, which is awesome. Riley's a great guy. Um, he's really been focusing on um, his, he's got this little YouTube segment that's called carpets and coffee, um, which is, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool where he just kind of, you know, goes live on YouTube and drinks some coffee and bullshits about carp pythons and you know, people ask some questions and sometimes he has topics and sometimes it's just off the hip. But um, if you have not seen that, you should definitely check it out. But you know, I, you like Riley. I like Riley. We kind of like are on the same. Riley page, costs so. you money, so it, every time I talk to Riley, I spend money. So I yeah. like Riley, but is Riley but, really good for Owen? I don't know yeah. yet. It's hmm. up in the air. It, there's a yeah. rule now where I'm not allowed to talk to Riley after nine o'clock at night because if That's I do, true. I spend money or. I'm not allowed to talk to Riley if I've had a couple beers. Thank God he's not involved in our carpet fest, or I'd go broke every freaking year. So I'm excited that Riley is here. My checking account is a little devastated, so we'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so as of, I mean, before that, a lot of it fell kind of on Owen. Owen was really the one that was moderating uh, most of that, um, and, and, just, <laughs> and just would apparently like, banning hey. everyone and getting mad is really not yeah. the way to do it. So Here's the band hammer. And he's just like, uh, just screw you. I probably should have talked to you about this one before I went. But but, but screw that, man. Screw yeah. that. That's on. Um, it's out. Yeah. So Riley's going to help us with that. But you know, one of the things that I thought about was like, so how can we make the 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 site the go to site for you know for Morelia, you know, uh, for people that are looking to get into Morelia? So, you know, I started re- researching Facebook groups and stuff, and you can upload documents to it. So I thought, okay, let's put some research papers up there so people can go and and check it out. Which I I, I thought of you the other night, and I put up a nice rough scale python. Uh, Why didn't you tell? I would have read things. <laughs> oh, I thought you I thought you clicked on it and liked it because Morelia Python Radio liked hey, it and I did something it. <laughs> pop, if something pops up, if something pops up, I'm like, like. Doesn't mean I actually paid attention to it. Uh, okay. This anyway, is why we rough... need Riley. Okay? We already yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, after the show, go and check it out, Alan. Maybe, or maybe I will. The show, you know, maybe you, you know, mute <laughs> yeah, the mic and start it. reading the paper. But, I'll uh, tune you out and yeah, start <laughs> yeah. reading the paper. It'd be fine. Right. Uh, so that was one thing. Um, the, another thing I thought of is like, <clears throat> well, it seems like we kind of let this slide as it is. You know, every once in a while, people will throw in just like olive pythons. Yeah. I think Eric Kohler posted up olive pythons the other day. And just because we're kind of all into it, we don't really, we don't really give a shit, but you know, it is Morelia pick of the week. So I thought of I, another some, group. The whole basis of the pick of the week was people submit pictures. And then once a week we talk about the best pictures and the best posts. Now this was a ridiculous idea because it's really hard to keep up on it. Cause some days or some weeks there are 
a million posts and a million pictures. Other weeks, yes. nothing happens. So it's yes. really <laughs> this was a stupid idea. And if we could right. change the name, we would. But at this point, eh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So it is, <clears throat> it is what it is. It's kind of catchy, I guess. If you know, I guess. But yeah, we do not real. I mean, we look at pictures. I, well, I got a few of them that I was going to talk about tonight. But no, you yeah, know, right. um, but still. <clears throat> uh, there we go. So I figured we'd do like a whatever Wednesday where you can post up, you know, stuff. If people want it, they'll like it, then that's cool. If they don't, then, you know, we can always change back and not do it at all. But anyway, right. you know, because I know you got some projects outside of Morelia, you know, I got I some projects do. outside of Morelia, you know, for the most part, anybody that really keeps Morelia, they, they have, they usually have something that, uh, you know, that's outside of that. So <clears throat> we're going to try that. Um, another thing that we were going to try to do is, um, uh, do like, uh, highlight an animal. Uh, okay. like for instance, like Madam Blueberry is an example. Um, mm. like just kind of put, you know, the information that is known about Madam Blueberry in a document, put it up there. So people will know those things or poster child or Benjamin or, well, I don't know what else, what other animals are out there that, are you, we, you know, like, I mean, th- well, yeah, I mean, like you could even go on and just, we'll post up the original, I'll, I'll scan in the original, uh, for tiger carpets. I mean, that's where the whole shit started. Um, there's, there's founder animals all over the place for lines, breeds, this, that, and the other thing. So yeah. We totally do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I thought it would be cool if we highlight a breeder. So rather than go to negative route and saying who you shouldn't buy from, I thought maybe it would be a better idea to approach, approach it from a positive spot where we kind of say who's who's an awesome guy and or girl and in the hobby and is working with, uh, you know, Moralia. So if you're new to it, then you sort of get a feel for who's who, you know. And then mm-hmm. – um, you know, throwing up every once in a while uh, a blog, you know, from one of us. I would love to get Keith involved with that because I know he loves to write. So, Keith, if you're listening, uh, I will be hitting you up about that. We we, we um, know he is. We know yeah. he is. We know you yeah. are. And you've already just you've already volunteered. It's done. We have you now. So. And then I thought yeah. also it would be cool to highlight a product, you know, just like highlight something that, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like reptile related, but it's something that you use in your reptile room, you know, and it helps you with, you know, I thought that would just be a cool idea for people um, to, uh, you know, like little hacks, if you will. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, because here's the thing is that it, it's, it's funny when you go online and you read certain stuff and, and I forget the thread that I was reading this week, but it involved uh, somebody who had a, uh, snake that was on the aggressive side and they were looking for ways to tame it down uh-huh. which I hate that anyway is because you know you, you, you can try but there's no guarantees and and then people kept suggesting that they should feed it more and larger meals to try to get it bigger and more relaxed fat and, and lazy <laughs> yeah and <laughs> yeah Curtin jumps in there and he's like, this is a horrible idea. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> like somebody, because yeah. that's, you know, you know, as somebody who used to feed his carpets twice a week because he was stupid and naive, they, 
it does not is not okay for them and that and that's not all right and maybe upping the food to a certain size to help kind of grow out of a baby bitey phase is different but you know if it things already on medium rats you really don't want to start pumping it full extra larges because that's just going to lead to bad places so it's it would be nice to kind of hear some of the hacks that people have learned over the years for like taming down for uh dare i say mite treatment or you know sure how to deal with this that and the other thing so it's because we all have them and they're all different and they're all useful so yeah yeah man <clears throat> for sure so, you know, that, that's a couple of the ideas that we got, um, you know, uh, for – because basically Morelia Pick of the Week is our, is, is our base uh, of, of the show. And, and you know what's weird? I, I don't know. I mean, we do the NPR chat, but you can actually do a chat on the uh, – right on the Facebook group. I didn't even know that, and I started messing yeah. around, and I, I did it, and people can just join in, and that's much easier, uh, you know. So maybe at, at some point we'll move the chat over to there. Or who knows? Maybe we'll – do a chat in the midweek or, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's just tons of ideas. The idea is, is to try to get the, you know, the, the group of people because Morelia people for the most part, they're, they're pretty tight knit, man. You know, we're like family, you know, we fight with mm. each other and yell at each other and call each other idiots all the time. But at the end of the day, we still, we still respect each other. And, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a cool group of people. And for the new people that are coming in, I, I just want to make 2019 the year where, you know, people, if they're interested in, in carpet pythons or, or chondros or rough scales or whatever, or Morelia, I mean, we kind of lump scrubs and bones and stuff into that still too, even though they're not. Um, but that they can, you know, find a resource online that, uh, you know, that can help them. So, hmm. uh, so there's that. Um, I want to make sure that we announce at the beginning of the show the UK Carpet Fest, which, you know, yes. dude, dude, how fucking crazy is this? I mean, I... <laughs> 2012, we come Stop up it. with this idea to have a freaking barbecue. <laughs> you know, here we are. At Howard's like, house. When, when at Howard's eight house. people show up. <laughs> yeah. There's like and eight of us the there. Following year, following year, 10 people show up. No one cooks anything. And we all stare at each other. It's and like, we're all drunk yeah. as shit. And we're like, all drunk oh as shit. Yes. Yeah. To think that it's now become an international thing. And, dude, we were uh, – uh, Ian's thing got put on U.S. Arc's uh, email list of things that's going to happen this week or something – or in the in the next coming month. So it's right. starting to – you know, that is awesome. But the fact that now there is one that is overseas is phenomenal. And it's I've crazy, been dying man. for that. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess – I don't know. I guess what I'll say from that is like, first of all, hats off to the guys from Reptile and Chill. Um, those guys, you know, again, man, they 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 saw an opportunity and they went for it. So yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, um, I'm hoping that I can make it there because, dude, I, if <laughs> I know I won't be able to drink the, with those guys, but I know. think you should. <laughs> I think you should. Listen, we need to start. We need to start now. It's going to be like a beer fest training montage where either you're ready to go or I kill you via alcohol poisoning. You right. know, I imagine, nice. I imagine me, my father, he's going to be in a sweatsuit, kind of just yeah. looking like Mickey from Rocky. <laughs> you're going to be chasing a Stop chicken. Boot. We don't know why yeah. you're chasing Stop a chicken, boot. but yeah. chase the chicken Stop and boot. drink the boot. <laughs> you can do it. Come on. How is this helpful? We don't know. But yeah. 
So anyway, those guys over there, uh, it's going to be Saturday, August 3rd. Uh, it starts at 1 p.m. and it goes till, I guess, 11.45 at night. Uh, somehow I think that's wrong because I think it'll keep continuing <laughs> probably until the next couple days. But uh, um, the, the only thing that's different with those guys is you need to buy tickets to the event. Um, so it's, at, okay. um, um, it's in the U.K. So I have it over on the pick of the week. You can check it out. But uh, or go over to Reptile and Chill. They have it there. Um, so that's pretty awesome. And our Carpet Fest, the Northeast, the original OG <clears throat> chapter, if <clears throat> you will. Uh, is going to be June 8th. June 8th, Northeast Carpet Fest, locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, It's going to be here at my place. I didn't tell tell Dory yet, but uh, hopefully she's not listening right now. I (laughs) go over well. If I hear a thump on the roof up there, I know that. That means she's gone, yeah, okay. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yep. So... So yeah, I'm looking forward to that, um, and uh, we'll keep you posted as uh, as things go through. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry for all the rambling before we get Ian on, but I I I cannot not mm. Mm. Uh, give a shout out to Jared Sharp over in Australia. Yeah. The dude produced a ghost super zebra, which is pretty bad. Insane looking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's he's so been weird. working on that project for a long time. And it finally panned out for him. So, you know, I, I think that sometimes people lose sight of that kind of stuff is that, you know, I, I always love when somebody takes that long project and it takes them forever and they finally yeah. get the payoff, you know? So, well, do you think maybe it's because like, I know talking to Matt and talking to other people who breed like retics and ball pythons, it's almost like every couple of years there's like, Oh, was it Matt? Like, Oh, I put up the the clutch I got a retix and everybody's like that might be a world's first and he goes really I I I don't care but really all right and, and it's just like uh, apparently that stuff just happens way more often so it's really cool to see the projects pan out especially with someone who has been just building towards it for a long time so yeah very cool very cool looking so, animal too <clears throat> yeah for sure so, oh, well, apparently Lisa can't find Murray a pick of the week, so I'm going to put it in the chat. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. It's, you search it, but all right, whatever. <laughs> so. Right. All right. There it is. Um, so what else? What else? What else? I, I don't know. Anything else you want to hit on before we get Ian on and get this going? Uh, nah. Might as well. Let's just do it. So. Okay. And he, he, uh, he'll, he'll tell make... us all about the Southeast, so. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get into that because he's going to spend some time. To, I want to throw this out there for Go people. Ahead. This, we have some pretty awesome guests coming on lined up. Like the, no. the some pretty no, cool. Don't what? Don't mention it. Please don't mention it. No, <laughs> I'm not going to mention that one. Okay, thank you. I'm not going right. to mention that one. <laughs> we had the discussion before the show started. We'll keep oh. that one quiet. <laughs> But next week we have Zach Baez on, and he's going to talk about his trip to Africa, which is going to be. Pretty How long bad has it out. been since we've had Zach on, though? I mean, Whew, long time. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. All right. He had an awesome trip. He's about to go to Indonesia, so we're going to talk all Jesus. about that as we prepare for our trip to the Northern Territory. Da da. Um, That's my passport. So. Oh man, you broke up like crazy when I said our trip to the Northern Territory. You went. Well, that was. Yeah. Well, that was. I, I didn't actually. That was just my. That was me. Yeah, but oh. um, 
<laughs> no, actually, I'm going to go get my passport on Friday. So that's happening this week. So oh, okay. we should be good to go. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So we got that going on. And then uh, what, uh, what was uh, – shit, I kind of forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> we're talking- cool guest. Cool guest. Oh, it's coming yeah. up. Good yeah. Lord. Dude, I'm so hyped to be back. It's awesome. I, you know, I miss, I miss the, <laughs> I miss the show. Um, <laughs> she heard it. She just sent me a text message. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! Blame Owen. Oh god! Honey. Blame Owen. Blame Owen. It's no, Owen's no, fault. it's not my fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. All right. Well. All right. Uh, <laughs> Don't panic. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. I'm not coming. To, I'm not going to your house for a while. I mean, just yeah. Saying. So yeah. <laughs> so Vin Russo is going to be joining us. Uh, nice. After that, Vin Russo. So um, most people, <laughs> most people uh, know Vin for his boas, but we're going to try to get into some of the other stuff that he works with, Condros, uh, specifically, Blue Tongue Skinks, things like that. So uh, that should be a pretty awesome show and pretty excited about it because he's kind of a, he's kind of a, kind of the, you know, one of the, one of those guys that you look up to. And then the other guy that we won't talk about, you know, is kind Not of like to. the guy that you look up to, but we'll, no. we'll, we'll talk about that. At some point. Uh, so here we go. All right. <laughs> let's get Ian on. Let's get this going. Right. All right. All right. Yeah. Good. Ian, welcome. Hey How guys. You doing, man? How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy yeah. New Year that to you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. All right. So how you been, man? Yes, sir. Owen, doing mm. good. Doing good. Of course, Owen comes down to Florida. He doesn't stop by to say hello. I know he always gives me I a hard was... time when I come up north and don't come to say hello. You came by my house and had Taco Bell. I don't understand. You did come say hello. I I had other stuff to deal with. So, yeah. The host with the most Owen, right? I know. I attempt. So. Uh, I'm glad you guys are back. Uh, welcome back from your break. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. we have to take a break every once in a while or Eric and I will kill each other. So. Uh, True story. Two weeks is good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about Southeast Carpet Fest. What do you got for us, man? Give us the lowdown and everything, uh, that we need. Yeah. So it's hard to believe that it's already time for Southeast Carpet Fest again. Um, so we are about a month away from Southeast Carpet Fest 2019. It's going to be February 9th, uh, 2 p.m. And mm-hmm. this year it's going to be in Melrose, Florida. It's going to be at Terrestrial and Arboreal, uh, hosted by Pia and Cody Bartolini. And, uh, and they're hosting this year. So a change in venue. We wanted to move a little bit north and try out a different location to see if we get some more people to, to travel from other parts of the southeast. Very cool. Um, yeah, uh, let me give you some more information. So, um so this year we're we're doing some different things. We've switched some things up a little bit. So for one, um, we've got some sponsors this year. So I want to give a shout out to them. So we've got Forest and Desiree Fanning from Cold Blooded Cafe. Um, we've got FeederSource.com. We got Robin and the team over at Ship Your Reptiles, and we also have the guys over at the Herpticulture Podcast. So all of those folks are helping to sponsor our event and make it possible. 
Um, we've got to, uh, to rent some chairs and tables and party tent and all that good stuff because one of the things about going to, uh, to Cody and Pia's house is their house is filled with venomous reptiles. So if you like venomous reptiles, that's awesome because you're going to get to see tons of cool stuff but not exactly perfect or ideal for hosting a party. So, um, so we've, got a, we've got some expenses involved in, in the rental, and so we've got some folks that will step up to the plate and, and help us uh, with some sponsorships to make the event possible. So I want to give those guys a big shout-out and thank you. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you want me to keep going? Because i got some more yeah. info about the events yeah. and logistics yeah. and all that. All right, sure. I'll just this is your time. Now. Use it. Yeah. We're gonna, Bring it. Then we have to talk <laughs> to Nick. Yeah. 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 Do it. All right. <laughs> so, um, so like uh, the other events around the country, the other chapters of Carpet Fest, we're doing a, an event T-shirt. Um, we uh, we got to thank and give a shout-out to Jeff Frederick for doing the, the logo once again. He does awesome work. Uh, check him out. Um, so we've got the campaign running right now. It does end next week, so on the 16th. And last time I checked, we were up at 71 shirts sold. Our goal is 100. And this does benefit U.S. ARC. Um, so definitely if you haven't ordered your shirt, go check it out now because those are going to close next week. So we've got time to get them printed and shipped before the event. And a little bit of a change this year. And, Owen, we took your lead with what you did at Northeast. And We've got six different colors and styles, and that includes a hoodie. It includes a long sleeve, a light color, a dark color. Hopefully there's something there for everybody. So I'm sure I'll get complaints that we don't have something. But uh, we do have a lot of options. (laughs) Yeah, a lot more options for colors and styles. And so so go ahead and and definitely, if you want a shirt, order them, because once they close, they close. And uh, it is a good cause. It supports U.S. ARC. And then we're also doing the auction again this year. And, um, and that's kind of there's a little bit of a change there as well. But um, let, me, let me talk a little bit just about some of the event logistics, and then we'll circle back about the auction, because I think there's a, lot, a little bit more to talk about there. So sure. just as far as the event, um, it is open to, to anybody that wants to come. You don't have to buy tickets. And uh, I'd like to kind of also put the disclaimer out there that it is called Carpet Fest, but it's not, you don't have to own a carpet python to, to come to this event. Uh, it's more of like a reptile fest, really. And so um, it is open to anybody who wants to come. But what we do ask is that you at least RSVP on the Facebook event page because everybody keeps asking headcount, and it's, it's really difficult to know how many people to expect. So if you're planning to come, you're more than welcome. Uh, you just got to go to the, the Facebook event page and RSVP so we have a rough idea of how many people are coming. And then the other thing is that the price of admission is you got to bring something. So – if you don't already have plans of bringing something that have been coordinated with the, the group that's planning the event, make sure you reach out to one of us, um, you know, whether it's myself or Pia and Cody, or we've got a whole team of people that are helping in the background. We just got to make sure that we don't have everybody bring dessert or everybody bringing ketchup or, you know, we just got to make sure we got things kind of divvied up. So we've got a kind of a running list and your price of admission is you have to bring something. So if you're coming, just reach out to one of us and make sure you're on the list uh, to bring something. And then uh, we do have a bunch of people coming in from out of town. So people have asked about uh, accommodations and travel logistics. So um, the event is in Melrose, Florida. So for those of you who don't know, that's in North Florida. It's just outside of Gainesville. And so a bunch of us are going to be staying in Gainesville for the weekend. There's a lot of hotels to choose from. 
Um, but Pia and Cody have also opened up their place for uh, if you want to pitch a tent, they've got kind of a big piece of property there, and that's an option as well. So if you want to bring a tent and camp on site, you can do that. And also Pia mentioned that there's a number of Airbnbs in the Melrose area. You also can look in neighboring town uh, called Keystone Heights or in Gainesville as well. So that's an option. And if you're coming from out of state as far as travel, uh, Gainesville is probably the closest airport, about 25 minutes away. But it's a smaller regional airport, so it's probably a little bit more expensive. Uh, Jacksonville is about an hour and a half away, and Orlando is about two hours away. So if you want to rent a car or if you're making kind of a trip out of it, logistically, those are the three airports. Um, and then also we are planning to get together on Friday night at one of the Gainesville breweries. So if you're going to be in town Friday night, definitely reach out get in touch with one of us so we can get you the details on that as well. Very cool. So what's up with the auction? So the auction is actually going to be pretty awesome this year. So um, that's really probably one of the biggest changes that we made. Uh, If you guys recall last year between the shirts and the auction and some, some last minute cash donations uh, in particular by Ty Park, um, we, we raised about $12,000 for US Arc. And so this year what we decided is we're going we're gonna to do the shirt campaign for US Arc like we have in the past, but we want to do something a little bit more Python Morelia specific for the auction. And so what we've decided to do is we're going to raise money this year for, for nidovirus research. And that's something that you know, really cuts across the entire Python community. And as we're learning now, even into other parts of the reptile community, And so we've identified four laboratories at four universities here in the United States that are all either currently working on research around nidovirus or would like to. And so we're going to raise a sum of money and then divide it evenly between those four universities and and at least help jumpstart the research. Obviously, we we don't think that we'll be able to answer all the questions that the community wants answered, but we're hoping at least it's kind of some seed money to get things started and maybe some of the other Carpet Fest chapters will follow suit and make follow-up donations, and you know, no one's going to fund nidovirus research that doesn't have a vested interest, and that means we got to do it ourselves, basically. So we thought at least for this year, we'll see how it goes. Um, the community response has been unbelievable, actually. I think last year we had around 80 items, and like I said, we raised quite a bit of money. Well, we're going to probably have close to 150 items this year. In fact, it's, it's getting almost overwhelming, the number of items that, we're, that are coming in right now. And so um, the community has really been very generous, but it's, it's going to be an amazing auction. We've got vouchers from some of the top breeders. Uh, some, some of the vouchers are big dollars, too. Someone donated a $1,000 voucher. We've got all kinds of T-shirts, calendars, artwork, jewelry, specific animals. We've got um, different things with the, the Carpet Fest logo on them. Uh, kind of a cross-section of reptile stuff and, and from a lot of different people. So it's, it's, it's shaping up to be a pretty awesome auction, and um, we set a pretty high bar with last year, and so we're hoping to, to do even better this year. Very cool. Very cool. <clears throat> so where was the, the yeah. auction going to be? Are you doing it in stages, or how, how are you breaking that down? Is it all going to be at one time, or...? So well, the fir- we're going to have to upload the items in batches, obviously, because we just we just can't upload them all at one time, and some of them are still coming in. We're still getting them, you know, processed and pictures and everything else. So the first batch of items will be going up um, probably in the next day or so, and mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll put them up in in kind of batches. And 
what we're going to do is we're going to follow your lead and what uh, Riley and Tony and, and Brandon did out at Southwest Carpet Fest. And we're going to have the online auction run up until the event. And then we're going to have it end with the live auction so that if you're there, you have an opportunity to outbid the online bid essentially. And so right. the, um, the auction will run for a couple of weeks leading up to it. And then um, it'll be a live finish basically. And uh, what I should mention is that if you're out there and you're listening and you'd like to donate something, it's not too late. Uh, just get a hold of me or uh, the other folks that are helping with the auction, in particular Eric Chung and, and Casey Cannon. If you'd like to donate something, anything animal-related is welcome. And obviously all, of, all the proceeds are going to, to NIDOVIRUS research. So we are going to get the first batch up this week, and then we'll do them kind of in batches as we go until they're all posted. So, so keep an eye out for that. Lots of great items. And if you still want to donate, it's not too late. Just get a hold of us. Cool. That's awesome. <clears throat> that should be, uh, yeah, there should be some killer stuff in there for sure. Um, so yeah, there's I'm some, there's forward. definitely going to be some killer stuff in there. Uh, a lot of people have donated. Um, although Owen hasn't donated yet. Hint, hint. And, um, but yeah, it's going to be an awesome auction and hopefully we're going to raise a ton of money and, uh, looking forward to, to seeing how it turns out. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. What else do we need to know about car, about the carpet fest? Anything, anything else? Is that everything? Um, I think that's pretty much everything I got here. Um, you know, we've got a Facebook page, we've got a Facebook group, we've got a Facebook event. If you're interested in helping with the planning, get a hold of me. If you're planning on coming and you need to know what to bring, get a hold of me. If you want to be a sponsor or you want to donate to the auction, get a hold of me. If you want a, a shirt, order them before next week. And, uh, other than that, make your travel plans and we hope to see you guys all February 9th at, uh, Southeast Carpet Fest. Nice. Very cool. Um, all right. So let's get into <laughs> let's get into uh let's get into what's going on with S and J reptiles. I mean, you have uh added quite a few projects over the past year since we've talked last. Um I mean Condros is sort of your still your, your main base. Is that still your uh your first love? Yeah, you know, um, I guess the the affliction is is terminal at this point. So, um, <laughs> you know, I've given I've given up hope trying to fight it, but um, it's it's kind of interesting the way that things progress over time. And when really when I started S and J, I was really focused in on chondros, and right. it was a species that you know, just had always intrigued me. And I finally was at a stage where I was able to start breeding them. And I had made the decision between sort of life, you know, impacts causing me to, and and just actively making the decision. I had whittled down my reptile collection to the point that I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to focus on this one species. And so the pendulum really for the first time since I had started keeping reptiles when I was a kid, it had Mm -hmm. gone like monoculture. It was all chondros. Um, you know, you can argue what well, was two different species or whatever, but you know, it was all the whole room was one was one type of snake, and it was right. cool because I could really get things dialed in and really focus on things. Um, and I think that that's why I was able to be successful, and you know, and why I continue to be successful because I I was able to sort of be disciplined in the fact that all right, I'm going to just focus on on this one thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think what happens to everybody when you do that is then one day you're like, all right, I don't want to open another freaking tub and see a chondro in there. I want to see something different. And, um, <laughs> and granted, chondros have like a million varieties, and that's why they're so addicting because you need like at least two of everything, right? Um, sure. Yeah. But I don't know. It just uh, at a certain point I started getting that itch a little bit that it was like, all right, well, you know, I bred chondros one year, and then I bred chondros another year, and then I bred chondros a third year, and it's just kind of like, all right, well, like I, it wasn't as challenging, I don't want to say, because I think chondros continue to be challenging even to this day. Um, uh-huh. But I just felt like, I, not that I was bored, but I wanted at least something a little bit different. I was, I was feeling that itch. And about that time, um, I was starting to travel and, and visit a lot of other reptile keepers and breeders and, and collections and talk to other people and, and, you know, see and hear what they're working with. And so, a couple guys in particular kind of started, I guess, whispering in my ear and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like having the devil sitting on your shoulder, you know, like I'm going to stay focused. <laughs> I'm just going to work on this one species. And they're like, Oh, look at, look at these. And, um, you know, some of the guys like, you know, Keith McPeak and Harlan wall and, and, uh, and Bill Hughes. And it's like, you know, I went out to Las Vegas and I saw Bill's place and I'm like, Oh, these Tanzania are really cool. And, and then I went to Keith's place and I saw all these, emerald tree boas and amazon tree boas and talking to harlan about you know his amazons and emeralds and uh visiting you know some other guys like rory out in california and all of a sudden it's like man i i need some of these other these other cool arboreal snakes and then understanding that well okay their their requirements aren't exactly the same as chondros but they're also not it's not like going from chondros to you know like savannah monitors they're it's not that dramatically different they're they're all arboreal, they're all somewhat tropical, they have very similar requirements, and so I was able to start to kind of pick up things here and there and acquire things and um, and just found that you know, there's just as many, there's just as much opportunity to work with different varieties of tree boas as there are within even just the chondros, and so it's it's sort of like, uh, it's just another addiction to add to the, the already out-of-control addiction of the chondros, so um, so yeah, we've added quite a bit. Um, there's still a few things I'd like to, to add. Um, but it's kind of exciting to be working with some, some other species that I've either never worked with before or have only kept, but never bred. Um, or in some cases didn't even really know existed until just a few years ago. Um, so it's, it's exciting to kind of get your hands on new things. And I know Eric, you can probably relate cause I know you've added quite a bit to your collection. And so, it's just exciting. You, you kind of get that excitement back to when something's new and you don't really know what you have to do for it and you got to figure it out. And, and then you also have that challenge of being able to, to breed it for the first time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I, I, I'm kind of swinging back the other way though. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, I went too far out of the, <laughs> of the circle. It's a, you know it's, a ru- mean? it's a rubber band, <laughs> you know, you stretch it and then eventually you're going to snap back to compound yourself so 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 what i've learned is that my niche is australian snakes (laughs) that's kind of you know like just those uh, yeah and maybe like uh papua new guinea snakes you know but like i don't know it's you know i found it challenging um for me uh when you're keeping like for instance short tails 
like I just I have such a hard time keeping short tails because they're so like temperature sensitive. Like you put them in, it's it's similar to chondros in a way. It's like if you put them in this, like you have these parameters, you stay within these temperature parameters, you're golden, not no issues, everything's going to be good. But like with carpets, you have to drop. You know, like when I breed, I drop my entire room down to seventy degrees at night, and they just don't really take well to that. So. It's pretty cool that you found like species that, you know, keep you excited and also at the same time, um, you know, can keep within one room is that I'm assuming it's one room that you got, right? Um, according to my wife, it's one room, but it's like (laughs) one room. It's like, you know, like one room and a little bit of change here and there and certain spots in the house that I've somehow managed to get stuff in. Yeah. See, like I have the, uh, well, for people that may not know is like, I have, I'm lucky that I have a cold room where I can keep diamonds, but then everything else is like in that other room to where, um, it's like that 80 degree temperature and, you know, drops down at night, but cool. So go ahead. Oh no, I didn't say anything. Maybe on. Oh, I thought, nope. No, I'm good. I mean, well, you have, (laughs) Eric has what I like to call one and then two half rooms. So Eric technically has two rooms full of snakes. It's just, you know, <laughs> he has one, he has one major room full of snakes and then he's got his room upstairs and he's got the cold room. So he's got two half rooms. So, you know, I only have one room full of snakes and then I have a snake in my office. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, well, don't you also have? What about the cage in the front room, Owen? That, that there's nothing too. in there right now. There's nothing in there right now. It's empty. It's empty. Yeah. He puts me in there so, for time out. Yeah, I'm slowly changing into a please. hobbit cage. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so when the hobbit has, gets uh, angry, you got to put him in there. Well, yeah. no, it's more along the lines. I need to protect him from my dog, so he can go there and feel <laughs> safe and secure. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm curious with, let, let me back up because there's a lot of species that we're going to get into, but let's, let's, let's focus on chondros for a second, because what I've noticed is like, it seems like since the last time that we've talked, you know, you've gone from breeding, you know, maybe one or two clutches to it seems like you're just like, you're just popping them out. Like, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know, like In bare belt the, of eggs. Yeah. So from the last time you were on, do you feel like you, I mean, you sort of said that, that you have it dialed in, you kind of have it figured out with chondros? No, I'm never going to say that. Because as soon as I <laughs> okay. say that, so they're all going to drop dead tomorrow morning. They'll all be on the bottom of their cages and that'll just be the end of it. So oh, no, okay. I'll, 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 I can never test. actually yeah. say that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think like, you know, part of me wants to say yes. And part of me wants to say absolutely not because, I, I did have a lot of success and a lot of clutches back to back to back, it seemed. And then I've also had some things that didn't go quite so well this year. I, mm-hmm. I had one clutch where the female slugged out. I had one mm-hmm. clutch where I only ended up with two live neos after everything was said and done, just a lot of dead in the egg or, you know, not fully developed. Um, I had another clutch early in the year, um, that was, um, I think we only ended up with five babies. It was that Kofi Al Biot clutch with forest fanning. And I had a lot of eggs that went bad. I had a lot of mold issues in that clutch. So um, I, I definitely don't want to say I've got it dialed in, but I think I've got it 
kind of dialed into the fact that I can keep them alive and I can get them to breathe and I can consistently get eggs year after year. Um, but where I feel like I still could do better is in the quality of the eggs and the percent that I'm able to actually get viable neonates out of. And I don't know how much of that is up to me versus how much of that's up to the, the animals or how much of that's nutritional. I feel like that's probably the area where I'd like to, to make the most improvement because that's where I, I have the most failures at this point. Yeah, it seems like with snakes that that's something that we just sort of like, I don't know, you know, that we pass over. Like somehow what goes into the snake doesn't equal what comes out of the snake. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, well, mm-hmm. let's just feed it a mouse and call it a day. Or, you know, I don't know if like if they're missing something or, hmm, I don't know. Fascinates yeah. me. Well, I mean, I know, I know we talked about that on the at the round table, and I think it's a subject that we should <laughs> revisit as a community. And there's no answers. Yeah. There's there's only lots of questions. But I still think, I think that we probably could be doing something more from a supplement standpoint, in addition to, you know, the whole prey item. And um, I don't know. I I just I, it 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 really is such just a you know it's a kick in the nuts when you get all the way to the point of having eggs and they're supposed to hatch and then two hats and you cut the rest of them open and they're partially developed. And it's like, why does that happen? You know, like, um, or you get all the way to the point that she's laying eggs and they're all slugs. And it's like, I, I don't know that we have a real gra- grasp on the direct correlation of one plus one equals two of what causes that to happen so we can improve or fix it. And so, no, I don't have them dialed in because they still throw me curveballs all the time. And uh, I'd like to say that I do, but I'm still learning as I go, just like everybody else, I think. Sure. Now, do you have a season per se, quote unquote, or you, it seems like you're just breeding year round? Like, is that is that accurate with them? Yeah, you know. Um, so I have taken the approach with some of mine. You know, you have to remember where I live in comparison. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in south southeast Florida. I'm probably, you know, one of the southernmost chondro breeders in the U.S. There's there's a few guys that are, you know, maybe fifty sixty miles south of me, closer to Miami, but you know, we're in a subtropical area, and so we don't have the dramatic swings of temperature like, you know, you guys do up north. We have, you know, dramatic changes in the season. But we sure. do have changes as far as the humidity, and we do have barometric changes. But I've just taken an approach of, and I forget who who it is that said that, you know, I don't remember if it was Trooper Walsh or Rico or Eugene or, you know, one of one of the, you know, the old timers, so to speak, but you know, you just keep putting them together until you get eggs. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I just, w- w- especially when I have a pairing that I really want that pairing to, to work, I just have, it's not quite cohabitation because, you know, they're kind of in and out and, and I switch it up, but I'll pair them all year long until I, I see them doing what I want to. And, um, you know, if, if one of them is stressing the other one out and, you know, if there's a chondro sitting under the newspaper, obviously it's not happy. But, um, you know, some pairs just, you know, they they seem more compatible than others. And so I've had I've had chondros breeding in the middle of the summertime. I've had chondros mm-hmm. breeding in the middle of the wintertime. I've had eggs. I, I mean, the last clutch of eggs hatched in December. And I've had eggs hatching, you know, almost any time of year, it seems. And so I think a lot of times it's because um, – and I think we talked about this on the condo round table as well, but you know, there's, there's more than one cue to stimulate them, right? Like you don't have to pull every lever, but 
you can use temperature, but you can also use light cycling, food cycling, humidity. And I think, sure. um, you know, my animals probably pick up on other cues because, you know, in the middle of the summertime, was, I think it was two years ago, we had a hurricane coming through and I, I had like five pairs of chondros locked up that, that weekend. I put them all together. It was like one of the last things I did before the storm came through when we had this huge drop in barometric pressure. And that night or the following morning when I checked on everybody, it was like five pairs were locked up. And I'd never had that happen before. But it was the middle of the summertime. But I figured, hmm. like, what the heck, I'm going to put them all together because we've got this big storm coming. And, um, and so I don't know that it, it always has to be the traditional in the middle of the wintertime. Um, you know, I've got a big window in my room. They can see that change in the light cycle in terms mm-hmm. of both the, the photo period and where the sun is in the sky. Um, you know, my animals are, are in an air-conditioned room, so it, I don't know how much the humidity, but even in Florida, although Owen probably couldn't tell, I'm sure he thought it was hot and humid in Florida when he was It here. was horrible. You know, this, is, <laughs> this is our dry season. This is actually our are cool you, dude, dry season. I had, it was so hard to sleep down there, and, and my girlfriend's like, this is nice weather. I'm like, it's broiling. I hate it. So, you know, yeah, no, I wanted to go back to my cold sweatshirt weather. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my air conditioner is running right now. You know, it was probably oh my God. today. So, um, you well, know, wait, I, Ian, and I recall, you, like, I mean, Ian, do you find it, do you think that it's easier to breed certain species in a place like Florida and Texas than it would be in Pennsylvania? And are there other species that might be easier to breed in places like Pennsylvania than it is down in Florida? or Texas? You know, I think it just, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, right? I don't mm-hmm. think there's any right or wrong way to breed chondros. You know, however you get them to breed is how is the right way to do it. So, right. um, you know, I think what works for some people, you know, works for them. I remember when Brian Fisher lived in Florida, um, you know, he might be listening, so shout out to Brian. But um, when he lived in Florida, he used to complain. He's like, there's no cold fronts. I, I can't cycle them. They, you know, it's just hot all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when he moved to Colorado, he felt like, you know, he had this big dramatic change in temperature that he could use to stimulate them. Um, you know, so for some people, that's, that's what works for them and their animals. I don't know, you know, I've never worked with, with carpets or jungles or a lot of the pythons you guys work with. And I don't know how it would work having them down here because you you, you don't have that, that dramatic change in temperature. I mean, you might be able to achieve it if, you know, artificially, but, you just don't have that same change. Um, and so I'm able, you know, I don't, I use food. I use um, just a change in my routine, I think more than anything to try to stimulate them in the winter time. But I see breeding in, in other times of the year as well. And, and I have males go off feed at different times of year. So I try to take the cues from the animal. You know, a male that doesn't want to eat probably wants to breed, doesn't care what month it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, um, yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, what? I mean, do you do you think like, oh, there's a storm coming through? I'm going to p- put this pairing together. Like, what's your process? Like, or do you just like? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, but if there's a big storm, so like in the summertime in Florida, it rains every day, so it's not really as dramatic, um, you know, uh, a change in barometric pressure. But if we have a hurricane or a tropical storm come, where there's going to be a huge change in the barometric pressure. Um, and, and that it's actually a two way change. Cause you got to remember what happens is, you know, the, the pressure, the pressure is relatively high before the storm and then it comes and the pressure drops way low. And then when the storm leaves and it sucks all that moisture with it, the pressure goes back up. So it, it's a pretty dramatic effect. And so 
when we have tropical storms in the summertime, I always pair right before that, that storm comes. And then our weather pattern in the wintertime is it hardly ever rains in the wintertime in Florida. It's actually our dry season. But when we have a cold front, you usually have just one solid line of thunderstorms where that cold front comes through. And then you have the cold air on the other side. And so a lot of times I'll pair right before I know we're getting a cold front because I'll know that there's going to be, you know, a big change in the, the barometric pressure. There's going to be a bunch of storms for just a couple hours. And then the weather is going to be dramatically different the next day. And I find that those actually, those weather events tend to stimulate the animals almost more than whether it's summertime or wintertime, at least for me. And, and like I said, I mean, I'm pretty far south. My animals are in an air-conditioned room, so, you know, they're not really seeing a lot of the other changes as far as the ambient, but uh, they still pick up on those cues. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, I've talked to a couple people as far as, like, scrub pythons go and stuff, and I've said that maybe the reason why they've proven so difficult to breed, um, which, by the way, are you adding them at any point? I mean, they are arboreal. Yeah, are you going to jump into that? <laughs> Can they fit in a, a two-foot or four-foot arboreal cage? Tannin bars. Yeah, you could put tannin bars Mal- in there. Yeah. Sure, or not? really tiny Malukins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I was going to say, like, I think that um, sometimes maybe that's more of a cue for, uh, especially the animals that are from, like, that Indonesia, Papua New Guinea area where, I mean, because if you just – even if you look at like um, poplin carpet pythons, they don't need this that drop. They 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 don't need that at all. I mean, you can just crack the window and a little breeze blows in, drops the temperature at like four degrees, and it's game on. You know, so I don't know. I I think if you were going to be able to breed carpets outside of the window, that would probably be the one that you would be able to do it with. Um, but yeah, that would always confuse me, man, because I I you know. I, I always see you guys and it's just like uh, you're breeding and it's like, wait a minute, it's, it's July. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Stop it. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> this, this doesn't conform well, to the book. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It would be really interesting. And I don't know, you know, if you guys have any plans, I have Daniel and Tushan anytime this year, but it would be really interesting to know if there's any field research, um, at least on chondros. Cause I don't know if there is that shows that they have, a definitive breeding season. Um, you know, I, I'd be really curious about some of the corral species that I'm starting to work with as well, because I wonder, you know, these, I think these tropical is. species, you know, is there but a definitive it... in the wild? Do they only breed? In well, it's the wet season, or... right? I mean, yeah. the eggs are hatching out during the wet season when, you know, all the other animals, like what they would eat as prey would be available too. I mean, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't know. I guess I'll find out when I go to Northern Territory because I guess that's the closest to what you would find in Papua New Guinea. Like yeah, up in that top of Australia. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, I know that's kind of the traditional thinking is that they would hatch out when all the other critters would be hatching out. food. And, um, yeah. But I wonder, you know, is it possible? To, are there recorded instances of them breeding in other times of the year? Um you know, I don't know. I just wonder what huh. are, what are the cues that really you know trigger it? Because one of the things I, I know um, from from being in Central America is that uh, I, I've been out of Costa Rica a couple of times, and one time we got down there literally like a day or two before the first rain came, 
and it uh-huh. was like it was like walking into like a, a bag of dry sphagnum moss, you know, like, like it was just dusty and everything was dry and we saw no amphibians and we saw hardly any, just no animals moving around in general. And it was like the second day we were there, it just started pouring rain. And within 24 to 30, probably 48 hours, it was like the whole rainforest rehydrated and there were frogs everywhere at night and there were snakes chasing the frogs and there were coatis and raccoons and possums no. and stuff off the road. It was like, it was just all, all triggered by the rain. And right. so, you know, I don't know how much it's the date on the calendar or the, you know, the temperature as much as, you know, maybe to some of these areas, it's, it's really triggered by the rain. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just, that, that's what gets everything moving. It's now you can hunt. So that, that would make a lot of sense to me, especially for places that have monsoon seasons. Yep. And those big storms usually come with big changes in barometric pressure. You know, all that, all that tropical, low pressure, moist air coming in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, we didn't, we didn't even go up as far as like the Cape, like the tip of the Cape, but you know, when we were in the Daintree, it was, it, it was crazy how humid it was. And I, I know people say that humidity doesn't matter. It's hydration and that whole back and forth argument, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily matters for them per se, but I think that it definitely could be a cue for them to breed because, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievably humid, like insanely humid. Um, yeah, and what I was going to say before is, you know, Owen was here in Florida in the wintertime. He's saying how hot and humid it was, and most Floridians would say it was it was a nice winter day and how <laughs> dry it was because it, it – doesn't rain much in the winter time and the humidity for us is relatively low this time of year. And so even though it's, you know, we're in the subtropics and you're not seeing these huge temperature changes, an 80 degree day in Florida in January is much, much, much less humid than an 80 degree day in Florida in August or September. It's just a huge difference in the humidity. And so I think that the animals are affected by that as well. And um, I think it was actually Brian Fisher also who told me the last time I saw him in Colorado that they like, go, oh, it's like, it's like you're breeding chondros with a handicap because you have all that natural humidity in Florida. So you have an advantage. Um, <laughs> but, but as a result, what, what I actually do is, I, you know, I'm a sprayer and I know that's controversial and, and whatever. I've just always ooh. sprayed my chondros. I think I oh, always no. spray yeah, but, but in the wintertime, in the wintertime, I hardly ever spray them. Um, I only really spray them in the wintertime when, uh, when they're getting ready to shed, because if I don't, they have bad sheds actually, because it's that much less humid here in the, in the wintertime than it is the summertime. But in the summertime, I spray them a lot more. And if we're having a storm come through, whether it's the wintertime or the summertime, I will just spray the heck out of them to kind of simulate that or simulate that, that big rainfall event associated with the, the change in the barometric pressure. So for me, I feel like it's, it's more around the the change in the food regiment and the change in the husbandry regiment more than it is, you know, this dramatic temperature cycle. And yeah. Was, uh, so. No, I, I would agree. I'm kind of getting into the same thing with um, my Madagascan hognose because I hear they kind of like it where it's dry, less food, and then you kind of just soak their cages, and then that, that cure is what gets them going. So. Cool. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so what have you, um, you know, now that you've had all these clutches under your belt, um, is, is, is Buddy Buscemi's way of, uh, 
cooling your hair out uh, to feed these guys and get them going? Have you had luck with it? Um, do you have any tips, tricks? Um, yes, I have pulled hair out over it. Um, <laughs> it you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know who it was that, that, that I read it and it might've been in the Maxwell book or I don't know where, but it was when I was first reading, you know, Condos for the first or second time. And, you know, it talked about something to the effect of, you know, the only way you can get good or learn how to feed baby condors is to feed baby condors. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it, I guess it's just true. I, either that or you put enough of them in the freezer from starving to death that you just kind of, you figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, it does seem like there are some clutches that are easier than others. It seems like in every clutch there's one animal that you just want to flick in the head and, you know, call every name end in the it. book. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're like, I could just pinch your head and end the whole thing now. And then so we're done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, I have learned a couple of, of tricks that work well for me. They don't work for every animal. But what I tend to do is I kind of have a progression of things that I'll try with certain things being more of a last resort and other things that I've had better success with. I'll try more early on. Um, but two of the things that I've learned is one, I can't feed baby condors unless the house is empty, but the kids cannot be in the house. Uh, in general, my wife cannot be in the house, although, you know, or she's got to be upstairs, but like I need a quiet house because otherwise it just, it doesn't seem to work because you got to have patience and you got to be able to sit there and then you got to be able to freeze and not move. And you also got to be able to openly cuss at them when they continue to drop it for the 50th time. So, um, (laughs) So trick number one for me is finding quiet time when no one's in the house. Um, and, um, and that just kind of being in the right mental place to be able to, to kind of sit down and work with them. But the other thing that I've done also probably controversial. Um, so shh, don't tell anybody kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I actually start feeding trials very, very early, like day one or two out of the egg way before they even shed. And I have found that I get a high percentage of them to take, oftentimes it's just a pinky head, but sometimes it's a whole frozen thawed pinky. But oftentimes I can get them to feed, in some cases, two or three times before they shed. And that, I have found that those animals that will eat before they shed just end up being much more robust animals in general. And even if it's just a pinky head, and I know that they're probably not, I'm not getting them to eat out of a feeding response. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. It's a defensive response. And I think they've got such a hard time seeing at that point because not only are they getting ready to shed, so they've got, you know, that, that membrane over their eyes, but they've got all that dried goo from the egg also. And so I find that baby chondros right out of the egg are super nippy a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. And so I can get a defensive strike. And oftentimes that defensive strike, even if it's just a pinky head, gets some extra calories into them, and they just seem that much more likely to do it again. Mm-hmm. And those animals that I've gotten to eat before shedding almost always continue eating without problems and always are, you know, the, the most robust animals out of that clutch, it seems. Now, the other ones almost always catch up as long as, you know, they don't lag too far behind. But So that's one thing that I've started to do is that I've, And they won't all eat before they shed. So I'm not saying that they all need to or they all should, but those that I can get to take a meal before they shed, I will, I will offer them. Um, The other thing is that I've gotten 
less patient in terms of like, oh, I'll just give that animal another week or another week or another week. If if they're not if they're runners, if I can't get them to strike, if they're they're just they won't eat anything, uh, I've, I've become a little bit less patient in terms of waiting to start to assist feed them. And oftentimes it's just a, a pinky head or a mouth tail, so it's not a whole lot, and it's not force feeding. It's just getting it lodged, you know, on a, a tooth far enough back that they try to shake it out a couple times, and they realize it's easier just to swallow it than to spit it out. Um, and so those two things, I think, have improved uh, my success rate with getting babies started. Now, having said that, there's, there's always, it seems like, one in every clutch that just has to be like a pain in the butt. But, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes I haven't. I've had some where 100% of them will take frozen thawed. Um, so, you know, what I'll generally do is I'll start a couple of days after that, set them up in baby bins. I'll start with frozen thawed. If I can get them to take frozen thought at that point, then that's all they'll pretty much ever get offered. Uh, if they won't, then I'll wait till they shed and then I'll try live. And a lot of times mm-hmm. that, that's that difference. I can get them to eat. If, um, and then from there, there's kind of a progression. I can try African softers. I can try um, pinky heads. Um, I can try uh, scenting with chick down. I have tried some of the different scent products from uh, from Reptilinks, but I have not mm-hmm. had much success with those. Um, although I, I may try them with some of the tree boas this coming year. Um, mm. So I just kind of I'll, I'll go through that progression until I find what does this particular animal w- want. And right. on occasion, I'll find that this animal wants the pinky really, really hot. Otherwise, it won't take it. Or this animal wants it with a little bit of chick down or this animal doesn't want a pinky at all. It actually wants a rat pink head, you know, for whatever reason. Like I had a, an emerald tree boa this year, would not eat anything but rat pinks, like would not take any mouse whatsoever. But, um, you know, so I just, I kind of work through that progression. And usually if, if one of those things doesn't work, then uh, an assist fed pinky head usually does the trick. And interestingly, you do that just once or twice, and it almost like jumpstarts something in them. And by that third time you, you go to try to do it and they're like, Nope, I'm just going to eat it on my own. Thank you very much. And, right. um, and so I, I think it's just not letting them go too long really. And so I've always been, you know, under that impression, Oh, they're born and they got all this yolk and they got to absorb it and they got plenty of energy. And, you know, I don't know if it's yeah. a caloric thing, if it's a, just getting a little bit of blood sugar going. So their brains are going more, but I feel like they, as soon as they get that first meal in them, they perk up and uh, they're just a lot more responsive. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was somewhat similar with, you know, with, with carpets, but I think it's probably much easier to get carpets to go than it is to get conjures to go. That's for sure. Um, but cool. All right. What about, now this is a topic that we never really hit on uh really with anybody but what about shipping no. them what about yes. shipping chondros how's that I see, how fun is I that see you always, um, <laughs> you're always shipping i see you know it's like seat belted in your car ready to go to the airport or whatever da, 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 by, da, by the way like, um <laughs> ian the next time i see you i have a stack of s and j reptile stickers that I forgot I had in my suitcase that I took to Texas the one time that you and Howard adorned where Eric and I were staying with 
Um, literally, I can probably save you from having to order more stickers for a good amount of time. I want to give them back to you. So yeah, uh, remind that. me. That would be great. Yeah, next time I see, if not, yeah. I'll mail them to you. It's okay. So give them to Eric to bring down to me at, at Carpet Fest. Okay, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. So, so what about it? Shipping them. You know, I, I mean, first of all, I think when you ship any animal, it's kind of a a little bit of a rolling of the dice, right? Like whether you're mm-hmm. receiving or you're you're sending it out, you're once you hand it off to FedEx, there's just a certain you're, you're gambling at a certain point, right? So Correct. what I try to do is minimize the risk wherever I can. So um, one of the things I do is on the, on the front end is I work really closely with Robin at Ship Your Reptile. So I got to give him a shout out and a big thank you because, um, you know, I basically will clear every shipment through, through them. So I had two condors actually that went out yesterday. And so I had a bunch of animals that were sold and we had the holidays. We've had cold weather. We've had you know, heavy shipping issues. And so there was no shipping yesterday. It was the first day that you could ship with Ship Your Reptiles in about a month, actually. And mm. so the first thing I do is you know, I'll work with the customer um, and just kind of ask on the front end, well, where are you located and what are, what's your weather like this week? Um, because, 90% of the time, the weather in Florida is fine. So it's usually right. not an issue for weather where I am. I usually don't have to say like, oh, is my weather good for shipping today? Because it's, it's good for shipping pretty much all the time. And so I really have to look at what's the weather in the hub. And most of my shipments go through Memphis, although some of them will go through Indianapolis. But I'll check the weather at the hub. And then I'll ask the customers, you know, what's the weather like where you are? And so, for instance, one of my snakes went out to Arizona this week. And the guy, I think, lived in northern Arizona, and it was still pretty cold where he was, but he was only like an hour and a half or two hours from Phoenix, and the, the temps are dramatically different. And so the temps were pretty good in Phoenix, but not good where he was. So he drove an hour, I think it was like an hour and 45 minutes, to pick the snake up somewhere that was better temperature. So, so mm-hmm. obviously you want to ask where, what the weather's like. But then I get on the phone with Ship Your Reptiles, and I tell them, all right, I got two snakes going out this week. These are the zip codes they're going to. Um, you know, does this week look good as far as weather? Does this week look good as far as um, the FedEx system? Because they get these inside reports about, you know, the number of packages delayed by hub on a nightly basis percentage-wise. So they can look at metrics and say, oh, well, you know, Memphis last night had a, a 40%, 40% of the shipments that went through Memphis were late last night. You know, might not be a good day to ship the following day because maybe something's going on in Memphis and they're backed up because they had a weather issue or something, you know, whatever okay. it might be. And so then I'll say, well, you know, what's, what's the best day for shipping? And so a lot of times I get kind of like that inside view from their end and he'll tell me, all right, well, this week I'd rather you not ship on Tuesday. Wednesday's a much better day for weather and for whatever other reason. So part of it is just doing your homework on the front end and really understanding the weather and, and what's going on with FedEx. And then as far as packing them, um, you know, this time of year, obviously, you got to use a heat pack. But the only time I've ever had a chondro arrive here dead was because it was cooked alive in a box. And I don't think I've ever had a chondro that I shipped out arrive dead. Um, and, you know, and, and Ship Your Reptiles will tell you right off the bat that you, you're going to kill more snakes with a heat pack than you're going to by not using a heat pack because 
people right. oftentimes they use the heat pack in, incorrectly. And so this time of year you got to use a heat pack, but you also got to have holes in the box to ventilate it because the heat pack either A, can overheat the box, or B, it'll, it'll use up all the oxygen in the box and the animals can suffocate. And so I think the misconception is people think that the heat pack is supposed to keep the animal warm while it's in shipping. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I want my snake to be 87 degrees, so my heat pack needs to keep the box at 87 degrees. No, the heat pack is just there to prevent the box from getting 40 degrees, you know. It's really just to keep the, the, the temperature from dropping too low. It's not supposed to be, you know, this keep the, the, the ambient temperature of the box to this high level all the time during transit because it's, it's just too warm in a, a confined space. So, so anyhow, you know, I, I always use a heat pack this time of year. I, um, I use deli cups with a perch in them when I ship, but I also put some paper towel in there to kind of cushion them so that if mm-hmm. they get jostled around, they've kind of got a little bit of protection. And then mm-hmm. I just bury them in a bunch of newspaper inside the box so that they're, they're protected really well. Um, the other thing that I do that I don't know if a lot of other folks that ship necessarily do is I, my FedEx ship center is very, very close to the airport here in West Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we have a super late cutoff. So my cutoff is 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, mine's, mine's 7 so, yeah, so my, my cutoff is 8 o'clock, and I only live about 15 or 20 minutes from the hub. So mm-hmm. I usually leave my house around 7, 7, 7.15 to drop off so that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, my animals, you know, if they're, like, I had the one today, the, the customer picked it up at her hub at, like, you know, 9.30 in the morning. I dropped it off at, like, 7.30 at night. So that animal was only out of my hands for a little bit more than 12 hours. And so by dramatically reducing the transit time, I'm, I'm right. helping the odds, you know, in the animal's favor. It doesn't have to be sitting around for as long, so it's not getting too hot or too cold. The other thing is that this time of year, I, I ship to the hub and they have to go pick it up. And so, yeah. again, I'm reducing the risk because it's not riding around on a truck until 1030, getting either mm-hmm. too hot or too cold or jostled around or other boxes on it or dropped or kicked or whatever. And so... For me, it's all about, you know, how can I re- remove the maximum amount of risk possible because I can't reduce all of it. I can't eliminate the, the variable of what FedEx is going to do to it, but I can mm-hmm. give it the best fighting chance by reducing the number of hours that FedEx has the package and, um, you know, just protecting it as best I can inside the box. Mm. Okay, that makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. The, one time, the one time I received a dead chondro, it was a, an adult female... I don't remember who I got it from. It wasn't like a, a big name breeder or anything. And he had made his own box out of this like two inch thick styrofoam. Oh, no God. holes in the box anywhere. Two heat pop packs in the box. Literally Whoa. when I opened the box Whoa, and I tape gunned it. Two heat packs. Yeah. One snake, two heat packs. When I opened the box uh, and temp gunned it, it, the snake was 125 degrees and was yeah, like this is a board rigor mortis already. Wow. So it it must have died. Yeah. It could have have died before it even left his care. Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. And so I learned a valuable lesson, which is don't assume that the person shipping you a snake knows how to ship a snake. And so I ask a lot more questions now. Like, oh, where did you get your box? Oh, how are you putting the heat pack in? What time are you dropping off? Because I've also heard of people that will drop off at like the – 
they'll drop their snake off at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then it's got to <laughs> sit there. at FedEx yeah. from 10 o'clock in the morning until like 8 o'clock at night. And I'm thinking like, yeah, well, no. that's another 12 hours that the animal's out of your control. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. You're doubling the amount of time. So I, um, but I think I would recommend with when it comes to shipping, it, it, I've had people who have sent animals with those glove heat packs that you get at like, I don't know, Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever, which happen to be my rough scales. Um, and then, <laughs> I remember that. you know, are you freaking kidding me? But, uh, and also I, I have, uh, I've known people who've received animals in August that have come with heat packs where it's like, they, it, it's August. It didn't need this. It's like, that's just, some people just assume that's what you need. Uh, and I would say that the best thing to do would be to pack the animal correctly and then if it needs a heat pack, spring for like the 48 or the 72 because I, I had a few times this year where the animal made it to a hub and they're like, man, it's delayed. It's going to stay there. And luckily it's got a heat pack that lasts way longer than it ever needed to be. So, you know, but yeah, shipping sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing. I just I just threw it up in the chat, but I like to use the 72-hour heat pack. Um, I have been mm-hmm. using the 40-hour, actually, but I just recently talked to Robin at Ship Your Reptiles, and I'm going to start using the 72-hour. And you'll see on that chart that they have that it, it doesn't get as hot, and the heat lasts for longer. And, mm-hmm. um, and he's, he's going to make that the standard of what he recommends from now on is that 72-hour heat pack. So I'm actually going to change to that going forward um, so that I, I just don't have to chance it. The, the other thing, and, and you said something before, Owen, that made me think of this, is I also never ship on Thursdays. And some people will be like, well, what do you mean you only ship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Why can't you ship Thursday for Friday? And it's a lesson that I actually learned what, years ago when I was in the fish business, um, but it, it applies just the same because I've seen it happen with reptiles, is that when you ship a package FedEx overnight or FedEx Express, it's the next business day. And so mm-hmm. if you ship a snake Thursday for Friday, and for whatever reason it gets delayed, the next business day is Monday. That snake is not getting delivered on Saturday. And so a lot of times now that animal is going to sit all weekend and not get delivered until Monday when I could have just waited and shipped it on Monday for Tuesday the following week. And so, again, just to reduce the potential risk, and sometimes I have customers push back a little bit, but it's just a non-negotiable for me is, is I only ship Monday through Wednesday so that if there's ever a delay, I know it's maximum only going to be one day delay. Yeah. I follow that same rule. I don't, I don't ship on, uh, on Thursday. So <laughs> yeah, full of surprises for sure. <laughs> um, oh, Owen dropped. All right. So, uh, he's back. Okay, here we go. What Ethan. is that noise? I don't know. Who is that? Is that you, Ian? Yeah, you got a bad connection somehow. All right. Next topic as far as chondros go. I wanted to, um, when we were at Tinley Park and we were out to dinner, we had a discussion about locality um, chondros. And I asked you, you know, why don't you see more people breeding locality chondros? And I thought your response was was pretty interesting and something I never thought about. So I don't know. Do you remember what you said? Or <laughs> uh, I do remember the conversation. I, I don't remember word for word what I said, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of the fact that it's just it's it's hard to get 
the right sexes of the right localities at the right time to to create locality pairings. And so uh, when it's when it's hard enough just to get your hands on the animals and keep them alive and get them to the point that they're sexually mature and ready to breed, it's you know sometimes you gotta you gotta take what you can get kind of thing. And so um, I think a lot of folks that breed condors, myself included, would like to do more locality pairings, but you don't always have two arus that are both sexually mature and ready to breed at the same time that are of opposite sex. And it's, it's just not always possible. And a lot of times you end up with a sarong male, but a Jayapura female or a Biak female and an Aru male, or you, you just, sometimes the, the, the cards don't always line up. And then what happens is you end up with all these locality crosses. And then the next time around, you're like, well, I've got this really nice Biak, but I only have an Aru Biak male to breed to it. And so sometimes it's a matter of just the availability of the animals. And it's, it's oftentimes difficult because a lot of the locality uh, in condors, at least they kind of come in in spurts. So, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of maybe Aru's and Biak's that tend to be somewhat consistent. So, you know, you get just a few dozen Bantantas come in or Manakawari's or, um, or, you know, Tamika's, and then they don't come in again for a year or two. And so if you don't buy all of them at the same time and grow them up so they're all ready to go at the same time, then it's difficult to have a locality project that you can really have viable because, you know, otherwise you just got to really plan ahead, like five years ahead and say, well, the next time they come in, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy 10 of them. Or I'm going to buy everything <laughs> that Bushmaster has and mm-hmm. I'm just right. grow them up and hope I've got males and females and hope that five years from now I've got at least one male and one female and they're all ready to breed at the same time. So I can hopefully, you know, make that locality project come to fruition. So I think that's at least from my point of view, I think that's one of the big issues. I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that are chasing the the designer, um, you know, conjurers and, and I guess myself included, a lot of the crosses are, Phenotypically, they make all kinds of cool things, you know, melanistic and lots of blue or lots of white or lots of yellow. And so, you know, they're they're attractive animals. And so that's why, you know, people do the crosses. But a lot of times, and in the years I've been breeding condors, a lot of times it just always seems to be that when I have a male, I don't have a female. When I have a female, I don't have a male. Or they're not ready at the same time. Or, you know, I just bred this one last year, so I don't want to breed it back to back. So, it just doesn't seem to always work out. And, um, and so, you know, I think that that's, that's a big part of it. Um, you probably have some people that might make the argument and I'm not saying this is, this is my thought process necessarily, but some people would say, well, what does it really matter? Because are there really localities anyway? And, you know, how much of the locality information that we end up getting on this side is, is accurate. You know, are right. the sarongs really sarongs Are the, are the Tamikas really Tamikas? Are the Manakawaris really Manakawaris? And so some people might say, well, does it really matter? You know, if you got two adults and they're a male and a female, breed them together. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we do because if you look, it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, you just go back a couple decades and people were struggling just to keep these things alive. And and then it was, you know, to get eggs from them was, was a miracle. And then to actually be able to get the eggs to hatch was even more of a miracle. And so it was it was less about you know keeping the localities pure and it was more about like I got a male and I got a female they're both green tree pythons let's put them together and see what we can do mm-hmm. right so, yeah for sure I think it's just an availability thing though I mean 
how often do you see locality animals available to even try to start a locality project, you know? Well, mm. could it could it also be a missed sex kind of a thing? Because I know now with um, Ben being able to test for, like, sex with the shed, do you think that might be some projects kind of, you know for a fact what you got is a male or a female? Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly if you can sex them, especially if you could take a whole group of babies and sex them right off the bat so you know that you're, you've got, you know, you're not selling all the males or all the females out of a clutch and you're holding back mm-hmm. you know, even numbers, I certainly think that will help. I think missex conjurers in general, at least my experience, and, you know, I can only speak for what I've seen, I've seen a lot of missex conjurers. Um, and, and they've always been conjurers I've bought and they've almost always been females that ended up being males. And, um, I, I don't know why it is that way. I don't know if I've ever bought a conjure as a male that ended up being female. I have to think about that, but I don't, I don't think I have, but I have bought several, several, like, like more than I can even count on one hand that were supposed to be females that ended up being males. And, Oh, I probed it. Oh, three people probed it. Oh, Eugene Bissett probed it. You know, and, and it, I'm like, it's still a male. I, it's breeding this <laughs> animal over here. It's, yeah. it's definitely not a female. Um, <laughs> so, and, and anyway, I'm not saying that any of those people did it maliciously and, or whatnot, no. but it seems like missexing conjures is, is not an uncommon thing. And, um, and that's partially why I think a lot of conjures, myself included, a lot of the babies that people sell are, are almost always sold unsexed. Even my yearlings I sell as unsexed because they're just so delicate and there is a risk of missexing them. And, you know, I, I see people post like, you know, possible female or possible male or probed kind of in between. So I do think that when Ben gets that thing up and running for pythons, I know he's got it going for colubrids and I think vipers now, uh, but when he gets it going for pythons, it's going to be awesome. Cause for, mm-hmm. for chondros, we'll be able to sex even, even the babies, you know, be able to Which sell fantastic. sex units would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, 15 people bucks always a ask snake me, like, or well, something? Yeah, and people always say, well, like, what if I want a pair? And I'm like, well, I can sell you two, but I can't sell you a pair. <laughs> um, and, and so I've just gotten to the habit. I refer to all my baby neonates as, as males. Like, I'll be like him or he. And people are like, oh, it's a male. I'm like, no, I'm just referring to it as a male because you'll be a lot more disappointed if I refer to it as a female and it ends up being a male. If I yeah. refer to it as a male and it ends up being a female. Well, You're going to be you overjoyed. Know. Yeah. Exactly. So I do think that that's, um, you know, I think what Ben's doing is really cool. I actually, when I saw him at Daytona, I gave him a bunch of sheds because he's still working on some of the background work for boas and pythons. And, uh, and actually he also donated to the auction. So um, that's one of our auction items for Southeast Carpet Fest. Very cool. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, actually, can we, can we, that, that made me think of something else that I want to just circle back on and I don't mean to wander yeah. or go on nah, tangents, but man. There's another, there's another kind of cool thing that was donated for Southeast Carpet Fest, and so I want to make sure that I mention it here because I think a lot of people might think it's kind of cool. So I said just a few minutes ago about you know, just, it wasn't that long ago that people were just trying to keep green trees alive, and, and, and then it was figure out how to breed them, and then you get eggs, and, oh, my God, how do I keep the eggs alive and hatch them out? So I got a really cool donation um, from Eugene Bissett, and when I saw Eugene at Daytona, actually him and I had talked before Daytona, Levi Cranston had had kind of put us together to have the conversation and Eugene was cleaning out his attic and he found a bunch of the original 
conjure nest boxes and conjure egg hatching chambers that he used in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when him and Trooper and, and some of these other guys were just figuring out how to breed chondros for the first time in the U.S. And That's so wow. he actually, he actually dug all that stuff out, and, and I dusted it off. I mean, some of it was pretty dusty. Um, <laughs> and uh, it took pictures of it, and it's all going to be in the auction. So if you want an actual piece of chondro history, you know, it, it, they're still functional, but I, I guess in my mind they're more like something you might put on the shelf in your office or something. But they're mm-hmm. like some of the original handmade egg uh, nest boxes and egg hatching jars. They're like these big acrylic jars and even some of the displays that he used. Uh, but it's all this like chondro history that uh, that came from Eugene Bissett and it's all going to be in the auction. That's awesome. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. cool. Stuff. I guess it's you know it's kind of like one man's garbage is another man's gold. This is like <laughs> literally stuff in his in his attic, and he's like, I can't bring myself to throw it away. Do you want it? And I said, Yeah, but as long as you, I don't have to keep it. I, I'll take it because uh, my wife will kill me if it just goes from your attic to my garage. That doesn't really help me any. And so he right. said, No, I just I know that you'll you'll find you'll put it in the right people's hands. And I said, Eugene, I think this would make great auction stuff, and I think that there's a lot of folks that would think it was was really cool to have a piece of chondro history and um so yeah i took it all and it's all going to be in the auction and if you're interested in that kind of stuff check it out and, and bid on it yeah that's cool man because you know it's it's i think for me i don't know what you guys think but i think i came into the reptile scene right at the right time like it was already to where stuff was sort of like being bred you know what I mean? And Morse were sort of coming onto the, onto the scene and stuff. And like right in that era where, you know, they were starting to make like equipment and stuff for breeding snakes and keeping snakes and make it easier to do. Um, I think sometimes that stuff gets lost for newer people coming in because they don't have any mm-hmm. way of, of comparing it to anything. You know what I mean? It's like if you, grew up and you had a black and white TV and now it's in like high definition 4k, you know, feels like you're right there in the room. You, you can't, you're not going to have that same appreciation. Um, mm-hmm. I got that feeling tonight, right? I was taking pictures of some snakes and cleaning and whatnot. And I pull out the Darwin carpet and it's just a regular Darwin carpet. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, Holy shit. You know, like 15 years ago, Somebody would have killed somebody to get one of these things. <laughs> For this, yeah. and and now nobody gives a shit. Like nobody cares, you know. And it's like, I shouldn't say nobody cares, but you know what I mean. It's it's not <laughs> as you know because it's not, you know, a more for fancy or you know whatever. Um, it just doesn't seem like it has the same. Uh, bang that it does for me because you couldn't get it, you know, years right. ago, and now you can. Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah. So it's it's it, I don't know. It's kind of surreal in a way. But anyway, <laughs> that's yeah, cool. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> in, in the seventies and eighties like there was no such thing as a captive bred chondro. Yeah. You know, no. like, whether it was farm bred or U.S. captive bred or U.K. bred, like there was no such thing as a captive bred chondro. If you wanted a chondro, it was plucked off a tree in Indonesia or Papua New Guinea, and it was shipped over here, and it was loaded in parasites and you were lucky if you could keep it alive for a few months, you know? I mean, there was right. no alternative. Right, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. 
So, and there was, there was no cool. Maxwell book. There was no <laughs> There was no pvccages.com. There was no, right. you know, none of that. No. We weren't arguing with each other over what kind of substrate we were using. It was just, <laughs> it wasn't. Or like, yeah, I'm pretty it, sure yeah. there was no there was no MPR back then, you know. Yeah. No. Yeah. We we haven't been around that long. Yeah. Right. But I'd say there was okay. no DTP Keeper Radio back then, but I know that you know they 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 don't put out nearly as many shows as you guys. So. <laughs> Buddy. Ooh, shots fired. Buddy was a, but I think Sorry. I think Buddy was around, but he was breeding like Maclots pythons and Timor monitors, and Bill I think was still in medical school. So you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were there, but. Um, Cool. Jesus. Oh, anyway. I gotta give those guys a hard time. Although I hear that they've got a show coming up here, I think next week. So shouldn't give them too Maybe. hard a time. We we don't know. It's it's always up yeah. in the air. I, yeah. They 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 were questioning whether or not they could put on some extra shows, and I I said it was 2018 was a very lucrative year, so me and Owen will allow them to do a you know a couple. Well, no, I shot, <laughs> I shot it down. Oh, you shot I it shot down? that down immediately. Uh, I said you stick to your quota. God damn it! Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, come on. Buddy, Buddy, and Bill are always, uh, you know, oh, we gotta talk to the bosses before we uh, add any more shit. <laughs> like, uh, way to put that on our shoulders. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Al. <laughs> Go ahead. Owen. Well, I, I saw Bill posted his uh, his retirement clock countdown, so he's gonna have no more yeah. excuse about him being so, busy, and he should have plenty of free time here. More shows. Exactly. He's, I mean, he should be able to put. Yeah, they should be pumping out shows. He's retired now. It should just be Bill talking to himself on the radio. You know. <laughs> I would tune into that every day. <laughs> of course you would. Uh, God. Well, Ian, we know you added a bunch of stuff to your collection. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about, uh, it, it seems like you kind of got bit hard by Amazon tree boas. Yeah. You know, Amazon tree boas are really, really interesting to me. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really cool species to work with in the Corrales complex. And, um, and there's a lot of cool tree boas even, you know, outside the Corrales complex that, that I haven't even touched at this point. But um, the Amazon tree boas in particular really are interesting to me. I think um, visually they just look a lot different than chondros, you know, kind of the color palette, so to speak, you know, a lot more of the yellows and oranges and the lighter colors that are just, very contrasting different than, than the chondros, but um, also the sort of the, the variability in the genetics of them is also really interesting. So um, I have added a number of Amazons and uh, a lot of them have actually come from Keith McPeak, uh, who I know is a buddy of your guys. Um, so just going up and seeing his collection up in New Jersey and, and some of the cool stuff he's producing and talking with him a whole lot about Corrales in general uh, led to, to quite a few Amazons making their way here. Uh, also, I went out to California a couple times this past year and got to spend a little bit of time checking out uh, Rory Gretzko's collection at Canopy Labs. And Rory's got just mm-hmm. some amazing stuff. And uh, and the other person I spent a lot of time talking to is Abby, and she's she's down here in Florida now also. And I think you know between the three of them, just spending a lot of time talking about Amazons and. And actually, kind of the funny thing is, uh, and Harlan Wall as well, I, I should mention. But the funny thing is, Harlan actually mentioned Amazons to me a few years ago when when I started itching, and I, you know, like, what else could I add besides conjures that might be kind of, you know, interesting? And, and he's like, oh, you should try Amazon tree boas. And I said, oh, 
those they're, they're so skinny looking. They always look like they're thin and you know, aren't don't they come in large numbers of imports and they're like, you know, forty dollar snakes. And he's like, Yeah, but you should take a look at some of the stuff that some of these other people are doing with Amazons now and I totally dismissed it actually. At the time yeah. I was like, No, nah, you know, that doesn't sound interesting at all. And then I started seeing some of the stuff that these other folks are working with, uh, some of the tigers that Keith has and some of the calico stuff that uh, that Rory is working with and, and some of the hypo stuff that Abby's working with. And, and then actually Daytona last year, I saw one of Chris McQuaid's uh, lucistic Amazons. And, and that was like, that just, that was the end of it. Like once I saw that, I was like, all right, like I need one of everything. And so, um, <laughs> so I've been, I've been slowly adding a number of, of Amazon projects and, the problem with, with doing that is it's just like Condor's like, you know, to have one of everything, you got to have at least two of everything. And then well, you really got to have at least 2.2 of everything. And, and there's just so many, so much variety, even within the Amazons that uh, it's just impossible with my space to have w- even one of everything. So really trying to focus on, you know, some of the, the Calico stuff, some of the tiger stuff, some of the, the, the hypo stuff, but what I really like are, are the, the solid colored animals. So, you know, not so much the, the heavier pattern, but the solid yellow, the solid orange. Um, I do like the bicolors uh, as well. So, um, so I've picked up from, from a few different people, and I've got a couple more animals still when the weather warms up that will be coming in. But the Amazons are just really – that's kind of like my newest addiction, I guess. Um, they remind me a lot of the conjurers because the genetics are, are still kind of – only vaguely understood and so kind of like with conjurers you can you can put two conjurers together that look a certain way and they produce offspring that look totally different than either of the adults and you can do it three times in a row and get offspring that look different each time and even within a clutch they look all different well the same thing's true with amazons it's um you know you don't necessarily know what you're going to get and you don't necessarily get the same thing when you do the same pairing two times in a row so a lot still to kind of figure out with the genetics on those. And so I think there's a lot to be done with them. And, uh, and it seems like a lot of people are kind of getting into Amazon. So I feel like there's, there's just a lot from a kind of a breeding and genetic standpoint, a lot to be done with them. And, mm-hmm. um, and they're just so damn cool. The, just the variety of, of phenotypes that they, they come in. So uh, I'm really excited about working with the Amazons. I haven't produced any of my own here yet. Uh, okay. Hopefully in 2019 I will. I did have uh, I've got a couple of animals that are on breeding loan um, up at Keith's place, and and he, being the snake whisperer that he is, um, he he was really successful with with some of uh, his breeding this past year. So I do have some offspring here that were produced from from animals that I own, but uh, but I haven't produced any of my own here yet. Not quite yet, but hopefully very soon. Very cool. So, I mean, how, how are you deep in now? Are, that, are you kind of close to your chondro numbers, or do the chondro still overtake the Amazon tree bows? So the chondros definitely still are king. Um, okay. You know, there's there's no there's no doubt about it. Um, they're the chondros. You know, I, I kind of have a spreadsheet that I keep to keep myself sane or kind of keep track of things, but. The, the conjurers still outnumber the all the boas combined. Um, mm-hmm. So the collection is still more conjurers than anything else. But the of of all the non-conjurers, the Amazon tree boas are definitely the by far the, the greatest numbers. Um, 
there's just there's just so much variety. I mean, you've got you know the the hypos from from Chris McQuaid that produced Lucistic. So mm-hmm. you know, imagine a a white Amazon tree boa with blue eyes. There's, yeah, you were uh, you were kind of obsessed with that Lucistic in Daytona. <laughs> I, I I remember uh, hanging out with you right after you would like seen it and i was conv- trying to convince you to go over and buy it and uh uh i was a little you didn't you didn't go and do that so yeah it was cheaper than a divorce attorney but i don't yeah, think, i know um, <laughs> i don't think it would have worked out well for me that that animal was really cool <laughs> i um it, it was probably the one animal i really 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 wanted to come home from daytona with that was just a little bit outside my price range but mm-hmm. the leucistics are um I, I, that's definitely kind of a goal of mine. I'd like to be able to produce leucistics. It's um, it's a little bit of a challenge, um, kind of from a genetic standpoint, because that's a gene that's still kind of being figured out. That that Chris McQuaid GCR hypo gene, and it's really kind of like a het lucy or het leucistic gene. So that's kind of an interesting project, and that's one of the ones that I I've, I've got some aspirations for. There's also um, another version of the hypo gene in the Amazon's the mango line and that's mm. um that's kind of another interesting genetic project and uh so I'm working on that one actually with Harlan out in Colorado so hopefully we'll uh we'll, we'll see some mangoes produced this year but there's just a lot of things with the Amazons that are because they're still being imported and they're still being collected from the wild there's still a lot of phenotypes that you know you see come in even in the wild caught stuff that's like wow that looks totally different um you know, just really odd-looking things. Uh, actually, Forrest Fanning was uh, was out in Pomona with uh, Stephen Cush this weekend, and, and they saw this this killer calico-looking Amazon, and um, they sent me pictures like, we've never seen anything like this. What do you think? Is this cool? Should, you know, do you want it, or should we get it? Like, we've never <laughs> seen anything like that before. And um, it was it was actually a really cool-looking animal, maybe a calico-looking thing. But, but anyway, so it, it's one of those things where, with some of the other species that are either closed to importation or very limited importation or, you know, coming from the farms, it, it tends to be more consistently the same sorts of things. With the Amazons, it seems like with the the wild imports still coming in, you just never know. There's there's paradox animals that show up. There's, there's just all kinds of different phenotypic looks. And I don't think that we really understand either the – the geographic distribution of where they come from, you know, cause they're really only exported out of Guyana or Suriname, but they occur outside those borders. So maybe some of the variation is just geographic, but we don't see it just because of the politics involved or, mm. you know, are they just that polymorphic that literally anything can pop up? It's, um, it's kind of hard to, to really know what's going on. And so that's one of the things that's so cool is that with these Amazons, you just really, you don't know what's going to pop up. Um, there's just there's that much variability in the genetics, I think, naturally, and then um, our lack of understanding because we're still kind of just figuring it out. So um, I just I think it's a it's a cool species. They seem pretty hardy. They definitely seem to be easier to start than chondros. So of all the Amazons that Keith has sent me down from uh, from the animals that I have on loan up there, every single one of them is, is taken to to frozen thawed pinkies with with virtually no effort. So um, I will say they're, they're nippy. Um, that's, I guess, the one thing about Amazons, but chondros can be a little nippy too. Uh, but I've never disliked a nippy baby snake because nippy baby snakes almost always eat. Mm-hmm. That is true. 
So, so yeah. Now I'm looking at you kind of also have added Russian burger eye. Yeah. So, you know, that I just am dipping my toe in. So, okay. um, so I've got some babies here that, that Keith produced and um, I've got an animal up there on breeding loan with him. And so we have a joint clutch this year and it wasn't a very success. It was, it was a first time breeding for both animals. And so there were a bunch of stillborns and, um, so I've got some of the babies down here. They've they've been quite challenging, actually, compared to the Amazons. They're a lot more challenging to get started. And uh, I don't know if it was just a weak clutch to start with, or if uh, if I just have to figure out slightly different technique for them compared to the chondros and the Amazons. But um, that's a really that's a really interesting species as well. I it's one I actually saw in the wild when I was in Costa Rica. So that's kind of cool, also but it's not one that is really represented a whole lot in the hobby. And they're, they're, they can be kind of variable as well. It seems like most of the animals in the hobby are from, from Costa Rican lineage, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. some other just amazing animals. I've seen some of the ones from Venezuela that can be almost like an orange color. I've seen um, kind of like the Holy Grail of Ruschenberger eye is the, um, the Trinidad Tobago ones that can be almost like a golden yellow color. Um, and they, they're the largest member of the Corrales complex as well. So, so they get pretty big. But um, my experience with them is, is, is somewhat limited, I would say. But, but kind of an interesting side story about those. Uh, so about the time that Keith had sent these, these little baby Ruschenbergeri down to me, uh, my kids had actually been hatching out some, some we call them mystery eggs, from, from the backyard. So, uh, okay. again, I live in Florida, as you know, and we have a big vegetable garden in the backyard, and we have just about every exotic invasive lizard you can think of living in our backyard. And so a lot of times we find just random reptile eggs in, in the garden when we're, like, you know, tilling the soil or planting tomatoes or whatever. And so a lot of times the kids, you know, they gather them up and they want to hatch them out, and we've hatched out curly tails, basilisks. Cuban anoles, iguanas, soft-shell turtles, red-eared sliders, hmm. uh, I don't know, mud turtles. So so anyway, I always tell the kids, like, you know, well, by the time you give me the eggs, I feel like they've only got a 50-50 shot anyway because they've been turned and dug up and everything else. But inevitably, a lot of them actually hatch. And uh, okay. I, always, I, set them, I always set them up on some vermiculite, and I'll put them in the garage, and I just set them up on a, a high shelf or whatever. And I usually forget about them. Um, in fact, one time I forgot about them literally, and it was too late by the time I remembered. But mm. <laughs> the kids are a little bit older now, and they they usually like ask me about it like every other day, pretty much for for weeks on end. So it just happened to be coincidentally that I had a, a deli cup with like half a dozen eggs, and they hatched out just a few days after these little Ruschenberger I had gotten here, and they were brown basilisk. You know, we don't okay. know what they're going to be until they hatch out because a lot of the eggs look about the same. So I was faced with this real dilemma because I don't want to let the brown basilisk go because they're an invasive species. And then I'm just <laughs> contributing to the population that live in my backyard. And the kids didn't want me to put them in the freezer because they felt like even though they had only known these things for like five minutes, that they yeah. were not part of the family, <laughs> I could have put it. them in the freezer. <laughs> and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was have to set up a cage to raise six brown basilisks because well we currently have a rule in my house which is uh nothing in the house that needs food and water daily other than the dog 
and nothing <laughs> that needs crickets. So oh, yeah. no, no bugs good rules. and nothing that needs daily food and water because my travel schedule and the kids' schedules and no, can't deal with it. So nah, um, good. So I was like, okay, I can't let them go. I can't put them in the freezer, and I'm not, I'm not setting them up. I can't. I am not keeping six brown basilisks. It's just not happening. So I got to thinking, and I'm like, well, I saw Rusenbergeri in Costa Rica, and I saw brown basilisks in Costa Rica, and these things are captive hatched, not captive bred, mm-hmm. but captive hatched. They've never been outside before. They've never eaten anything before. They're kind of about the right size, so. I talked to kids. Somehow I made a deal with them that I could have three of them for the baby snakes if they could keep the other three until we figured out what to do with them. I think was sort of like the deal or the arrangement or whatever. And compromise. So, um, yeah, it was a compromise. And my kids are really, they're into the snakes and, and they're really cool about it. So they, they love nature. And, and I really thought actually that my kids would be like, no way, you're not feeding the baby bass to the baby snakes. But they were like, Okay, but we get to pick which three. And I was like, okay, that's fine with me. I don't care. Pick the yeah. three smallest ones. That's fine by me. So, um, so anyhow, I got the three basilisks and and I put them in. And uh, and this is a, the the story. This is the funny part of the story. So I put them in, and I went to sleep. And I, I came in the middle of the night and I checked on them. And and the boas were actually kind of like cruising around, looking like looked like they were hunting them. Okay. And so the results of my little experiment, I had three baby Roushies. So, and I was I was allotted by the the, the basilisk judges three baby <laughs> basilisks that could be executed, I guess. And so the, the first Roushie, right. yeah, the first Roushie ate the baby basilisk. Awesome! Oh, wow, worked out great. Okay. okay. Second baby Roushie um, did not eat the basilisk. And running around the cage was the baby basilisk the next morning. The third baby Roushie also did not eat the basilisk. However, when I opened the bin to check on it, the baby basilisk jumped out, jumped on me, jumped on the counter, jumped on the table, ran under a chondro cage, and somehow found a hole between the wood floor and the baseboard and crawled into the wall. Son of a bitch. So that's how they became an invasive species. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So now the real problem, the real dilemma that I had now was what do I tell the kids? Because the kids are going to ask me where the baby bath was. So what did I do? (laughs) I thought, well, my experience with conjurers and other snakes is that sometimes when you feed them like a lizard type prey, they don't get it the first night. Sometimes it takes actually two or three nights until they actually catch it. So I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to leave this basilisk in here because maybe it'll eat it the second night. But now I need another basilisk for the third one that the one escaped from. So I was like, well, the kids aren't home. I'll just go take one of the other basilisks that they allotted to to not go to the snakes. And I put it in with the third one. Well, my kids get home, and I didn't realize it, but they were, like, right on it. And they start screaming, we're missing a basilisk. Where is it? What did you do with it? And then I get all in trouble about that I've confiscated a, and I've, I've exceeded my allotment of basilisk. Yeah, you broke the deal. I had to explain to them. I had to explain to them that the basilisk was missing, which they weren't happy about that either. I had to show them the hole in the wall and prove to them that I was missing a basilisk. And uh, long story short, at the end of the day, I only was able to get one Rafshi to eat a basilisk. I ended up with four basilisks that nobody would eat, and I had one basilisk that was missing. We found a new home for the four basilisks that were alive, so they left and went somewhere else. About a week later, my kids, hey, we saw that basilisk run across the floor in my son's room. 
And I was like, <laughs> no, you didn't. That was probably a gecko from outside or an annul or something like that or whatever. Uh, the next day, my wife was sweeping the floor in my son's room, and guess what she found all dried up? Dead she baby found a basilisk. baby brown basilisk. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I, 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 I did manage. I pretty successful. Two evasive lizards, at least. Yeah. <laughs> one got eaten, one died in the kids' room. You know, and exactly. it was a. It was a good experiment, you know. Who knows if they, the problem I would have had is if all three of them had nailed and eaten those basilisks. Now you're like, crap! I need more baby basilisk kegs. <laughs> like, you know. Well, I I will say I was worried about that, and Keith and I yeah. had a conversation. I was like, well, I don't want to get them hooked on basilisks because I don't want to have to go out and catch more damn basilisks. Yeah, like, Jesus. You know. <laughs> so, but it was interesting, like you know that the one ate it, but the other two didn't. I thought for sure if one was going to, that all of them would, um, but it didn't work had, out that way. I've had that experience with uh, the red mountain boa where one will eat a gecko and the others will not. And then one will eat a long tail lizards and the others will not. So it's kind of hit or freaking miss, which is just so aggravating. So, yeah. Well, so, you know, I've had that experience with chondras as well. Um, and, you know, I don't want anyone to think I'm not advocating of feeding live lizards to, to any of these animals. But, but I do live in Florida. We do have a lot of evasives. And as a last resort, um, and I know I think I've talked to you guys and others about this before, I have resorted to feeding live lizards on really stubborn feeders because yeah. if the choice is going into the freezer or needing to get some panicure when you're a year or two old, I'm going to take the panicure, panicure. route versus the freezer route every time. Yeah. And I will say that I have never had a a chondro. I've never had a baby chondro turn down a live gecko. Never. Really? Ever. However, I have had chondros turn down live anoles, uh, which is interesting. You would think they're close to the same thing. And so the rest of the basilisk, the rest of the story about the Russian burger eye was, so I tried the basilisk, and like I said, I only got one out of three to eat. So I started thinking uh-huh. about it, and I was like, well, you know, when I was in Costa Rica – all the brown basilisks, and even here in my backyard, the brown basilisks are diurnal. And so at night, they're tucked up in the vegetation. They're not moving around. But right. the geckos are out moving around at night. And I think that that's maybe why with the chondros, I've had better luck with geckos than I have had with the gnolls. Because they're running around. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the funny thing is, is gnolls are like a dime a dozen here, but the geckos are a little bit harder to find, partially because <laughs> you gotta you got to hunt them at night. And... Um, and the one place at my house that I have geckos is like a, like a 20 foot high light over my front door where I can't catch them. So like they're totally safe because they're out of my reach. So, um, so actually my, my buddy, Eric Chung, who lives here, um, uh, not too far from me. I don't know if you guys know him, but he actually collects brown anoles since they're evasive and sells them as, as feeders. And, um, so I'll be like, Hey Eric, are you going out looking for anoles? Cause I could really use like one or two super small geckos. <laughs> and uh, usually I can kind of, you know, somehow bribe my way into getting a couple of extra geckos when he goes out hunting anoles. But, um, but anyway, so I tried with these Russian burger. Eye. I thought, well, you know, maybe it was cause they were diurnal and um, you know, let me try anoles, but you know, anoles are diurnal as well, but I have access to them. So let me try those. So I was able to get one of the Ruschenberger eye to eat in a null. So I thought, okay. okay, well, that's two down, only one more to go. 
So I thought for sure, okay, the third one will eat a gecko for sure. So this was just a few days ago. Got a gecko. Can't get it. It doesn't want to eat the gecko. I don't know Amen. what the deal is. But but the interesting thing was is that in trying to get the gecko from the deli cup into the tub with the third Ruschenberger eye, it was a decent-sized gecko, and it dropped its tail. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, crap. Now what am I going to do? So, of course, I tried to see could I get the third one to eat the tail if it wouldn't want the gecko, but it wouldn't. But I gave the tail to the second one that had taken the anole, and man, it went for that gecko tail like lickety yeah. like it was like right on it. Like as soon as I put it in front of its face, it was bam. So now that one has eaten one live anole and one, I guess, live gecko tail. So <laughs> Half um, a gecko, yeah. <laughs> so I'm making, yeah, I'm making progress with them, and at some point I'll have to convert them over to rodents, and then down the road I'll have to worm them. But uh, hopefully I'll get the third one going. They they definitely seem to be more challenging, and I don't know. I don't want to say it's because it's a di- that all Ruschenberger I are going to be that challenging, but these three just maybe it was just a weak clutch, and um, I don't know. But they're coming along, but I wouldn't say it's a a massive project that's that's very far down the road so far. Okay, so the other two that I know you included with your. Uh, your induction into your collection recently, and I'm I'm gonna lump them together, even though they're very separate things. You 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 finally managed to nab up a bunch of Sanzinia, which uh, you know that I know you were looking for for a while, and then you did also increase your uh, Emerald Tree Boa craziness. So why don't you talk about those guys? Yeah, so Sanzinia. Um... So I'll be honest, I didn't even know what a Sanzinia was a few years ago. Um, it's just not a species that I had ever seen before. It's not a species that I think are in a lot of zoological collections. So I just, honestly, I, I didn't really, I wasn't familiar with them. Uh, maybe I had heard of Madagascan tree boas, but I honestly, I really was not familiar with them. And so, you know, I had heard them mentioned I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. And then Bill Hughes was on, I think it was on your guys' show, actually. And um, and he was starting to post stuff about these Sanzinia, and there's a Facebook group about them, and I was starting to learn a little bit about them. And he came on the show, and he talked all about these Sanzinia. And then I had the chance, um, I usually go to Las Vegas a couple times a year for work for, for some trade shows, and I had the chance to go out and visit Bill's collection and see all these Sanzinia that he's working with and, and learn about that there's, there's even two different species of Tanzania and just immediately was like, gotta have some of these. And so the thing about Tanzania is that they're from Madagascar. So just like anything else from Madagascar, like they hardly ever come in and, you know, the people that breed them are few and far between and they're not, you know, represented in the, the community or the, the hobby in, in large numbers. And so they're, they're not very easy to even get your hands on. And so oftentimes you either find one just randomly here or there, or you got to like beg, borrow, steal to get on someone's list and, you know, or just be lucky enough that someone has a clutch that's made available and, and you can just pounce on them right away. And so I was fortunate that kind of all the stars aligned last year and I was able to pick up uh, one pair of Tanzania that are U.S. captive bred 2017s from, from Dan at DM Exotics. So wow. he didn't produce them himself, but they were animals of his that one of his customers now owns. So mm-hmm. he had a clutch or a, a litter. I'm still 
You got to get my boa <laughs> python lingo straight. He had a litter drop, and I was able to get a pair um, from that. And then I also was able to get a pair from Bill. Um, but the nice thing is that the pair from Bill are only half siblings, and one of them's a 2016, and one of them's a 2017. So they're only half related, which means between the four, the two pairs, you know, I've got a little bit of genetic diversity in terms of the, the lineage of the bloodline. So they're all still kind of young. They're just in, in grow out now and, um, and just really, really enjoying them. I will say that compared to the Corrales and, and the Chondros, um, Tanzania like to eat. Like they <laughs> really like to eat, like a lot. And um, I, I feel like I, I think every reptile collection has to have a garbage disposal. And, mm-hmm. um, and Tanzania, they will eat anything. Like, I, they, they just never turn down food. I, I think they might eat, like, while they're even in the middle of shedding, if you let them. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean, like, they're opaque. I mean, like, they might eat and shed literally. They might eat, shed, and breed at the same time. They, they literally are just eating machines. And um, what's really ironic about that is that they also are extremely placid. My daughter calls them her, the cuddly snakes. Like, <laughs> did you clean the cuddly snakes yet? Because when I clean their bins, she likes to hold them. And she calls them the cuddly mm-hmm. snakes because they're just really, really placid animals. Um, and they have this awesome head. Uh, the the, 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 the pit structure of the heat pits on their lip is unlike any other species that, that I've ever worked with. It's just really, really unique looking. And um, so these are all what are called the, the Mandarin Tanzania. And... Uh, or, or some people call them the brown Tanzania. The, the other ones are what people call the green Tanzania. And yeah. that's kind of like the holy grail of Tanzania. And uh, right now, that's, that's one of the species that's kind of on my wish list. I, I can't even find them, let mm. alone try to afford them or get my hands on them. I, I literally have been looking for them for, I don't know, two years, three years now. And I have not once had one where I actually had the opportunity to buy it. Once I saw some made available, and Matt Minatola, who I'm sure is listening, was like five minutes faster than me, and he snagged some <laughs> of them. But um, literally, like, like they're just not available. And um, what's funny is that, you know, in Europe, apparently, it's the complete opposite. They have tons of green Tanzania, but they have none of the, the mandarin or brown Tanzania. And right. uh, I guess the in Madagascar, you know, you've got kind of a mountain ridge and you've got a wet side and a dry side. And so the greens are on the wet side and the browns are on the dry side. And so for whatever reason, here in the U.S., we've got a lot of the browns or mandarins, but we have hardly any of the greens. And uh, I guess in the uh, in the European reptile market, it's the complete opposite. That's nuts. So I hopefully at some point I'll be able to get my hands on some greens, but I can't even find them, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, be able to afford them. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll somehow manage to get my hands on some at some point, but that right now is, is a species that uh, I, I'd like to add for sure. Awesome. So. And what was uh, the other, have... the other question was about the emeralds, right? Emeralds. Yeah. So, yeah. So emeralds are another one that I've added. Um so I guess I have to eat a little bit of crow again because um, I think it was Harlan and I were talking a few years ago, and he's like, "Oh, you should you should get into some emeralds." And I was like, "Oh, they they got those big block heads, and oh, they're all green. They, 
they, you know, there's no white ones or black ones or yellow. And I was like, they, you know, I'm sticking with conjure as well. Now, of course, I've got a bunch of emeralds too. So, um, you know, the emeralds are cool. They, uh, they're a little bit different than the conjures, like personality wise, they're a lot slower. They, um, I don't think that they have very good eyesight compared to conjures. Actually. I think that the conjures are much more visually, visually oriented. And I guess it's probably why the emeralds have much bigger heat pits along their lips. It seems like much more keyed in on the heat signature things and the movement more than the chondros. So they seem to be a little bit slower and um, obviously they've got bigger teeth, which, um, you know, is, is something you got to watch out for with those guys. But um, so I have added Northern Emerald tree boas and I've got some, some anacondas and some boats that are more uh, the traditional with the white lightning bolts. Um, I don't think I have any that are patternless at this point. Um, just really more like the traditional clean white lightning bolts, some of the anaconda. I would like to add some, some of the Miss Willie line animals, which is a, uh, a Rico Walder line of mm-hmm. Northern Emerald tree boas that just have a lot of white to them. There's also, uh, I haven't yet added any of what, what some people call the new locale or Brazilian I think is, is they come from that northern part of Brazil, but the ones that have uh, those different head markings, and um, and the other the other one that I haven't added yet is, is the Bayside, the, the Amazon Basin. That's kind of like the holy grail of emeralds. So uh, just kind of working my way into the the emeralds, but but do have you know a number of animals now. Some of them are here and, and growing them up, and I've got a few that are that are up at Keith's place on breeding loan, and uh, hoping to uh, to see some. Some baby emeralds, well, possibly maybe even this year. So uh, they uh, they're, they're cool too. As far as the the babies, they seem to be a little bit easier to get started than the conjurers. They start considerably bigger than the the, the conjurers do. So um, and and of course, all the babies are red. Which uh, for those of you who've been following S and J for a while, you know, for, for quite a long time, I didn't seem to be able to produce red conjurers, only yellows. So. Uh, with emeralds, you don't have a choice. They all start out red, so I, I can get that out of the way. Awesome. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, all right. Well, we are now – we hit the end. So <laughs> <laughs> that went quick. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, we're into the recording time now. All right. So I guess, Ian, throw out like one last time for people – the info on Southern Carpet Fest, and then we'll wrap it up. All right. Um, so, details: Southern Southeast Carpet Fest, uh, oh, February my 9th, fault. Two, <laughs> two p.m. Yeah, God, you can get, get Evan all worked up. You know, the yeah. in Texas, they put on a hell of a party. So I don't want to. I don't want to sell them short. But we are talking Fruit. Southeast Carpet Fest. So in Correct. Florida, not Southern Carpet Fest in Texas. I don't think they've set a, a date yet for Southern, but hopefully uh, now that there's a date for Northeast, those guys will uh, announce one for Southern here soon. Um, all right. We so hope. Anyhow, it's uh, it's Southeast Carpet Fest, uh, going to be February 9th at 2 p.m., hosted by Terrestrial and Arboreal in Melrose, Florida. That's Pia and Cody Bartolini. And um, this year we do have sponsors. So like I said, sponsored by – Forrest and Desiree Fanning at Cold-Blooded Cafe, feedersource.com, Ship Your Reptiles, and the Herpticulture Podcast. We got the shirts. Make sure you get those. That's closing January 16th. 
Auction items uh, will be going up here in the next couple of days, all the benefit of virus research. If you're coming, RSVP on the Facebook page, get a hold of me so you can get some, um, some info on what to bring. We are still accepting items, donations for the auction. So if you want to donate something, you can get in touch with me on that. And if you want to be a sponsor, we're also still taking a couple more sponsors as well to help defray the cost. Uh, other than that, basically, if you're coming Friday, get a hold of us as well. And uh, if you need more information about anything else, just uh, get in touch with me or get in touch with Pia and Cody or uh, Eric Chung and Casey Cannon. Uh, those are kind of all the people helping behind the scenes get things involved. So uh, any questions on Southeast Carpet Fest, reach out and uh, find us on Facebook. That's probably the best place because all the information is posted there. Awesome. And S&J Reptiles on Facebook, I guess. Is that the best way to get in touch with you? Or? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook, S&J Reptiles. You also can find us on Instagram. It's SJ underscore Reptile. So we're trying to put more stuff on Instagram now because I hear that only old people use Facebook and all the young hip kids are on Instagram. So trying to get that going as well. We do have a hmm. website. It's sjreptiles.com but uh, we haven't updated that in a little bit. So really, Facebook, Instagram, those are the best places to find us for S&J. Um, we post all of our available animals on Facebook as well. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, okay. man, uh, it was definitely cool catching up with you, and we, uh, you've uh, definitely threw out a bunch of the arboreal stuff, and uh, we'll definitely have to check that out, and I hope you get success with a lot of the Sanzinia and the uh, Russian burger eye because that'd be cool to have reproductions of those. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We didn't talk any uh, annulated tree boas, but maybe next time we'll talk about those. I got some of those cooking as well, but uh, we'll leave you wanting a little bit more. And hopefully, uh, <laughs> we'll see both of you guys down here for Carpet Fest. I know Eric, you're planning on coming, and Owen, mm-hmm. hopefully, you're going to get uh, dragged in the trunk, kicking and screaming. <laughs> yes. Well, unfortunately, I can overpower Eric. He's not that big, so you know you gotta you gotta have bigger muscle up here. So easy, yeah, <laughs> easy killer. I, I do want to give I want to give I want to give one other shout out if I could, and that's actually to you guys. Um, yeah, go for so it. So I want to just thank you guys for for all you do for NPR and and really for all you do for Carpet Fest. I think. Um, you know, it's funny as I've been planning this now for the second year and I don't know how I ended up doing this again, but uh, a lot of people give me flack. They're like, why is it called Carpet Fest? You're a Chondro guy. You should call it Chondro Fest. Or why is it called Carpet Fest? I'm a BOA guy. And, um, you know, I'm like, well, because that's, that's the name that was chosen and it's the tradition and it's, a, it's an established brand, so to speak. And we're not changing it. It's called Carpet Fest. Suck it up. But it's, it's Reptile <sighs> Fest. If you like reptiles, you can come. But... Um, you know, I just think it's, it's awesome what it's grown into now the UK Carpet Fest coming online. And, uh, you know, I just think back that my first Carpet Fest was Southern Carpet Fest in 2017. <laughs> and, and that was such an awesome weekend at Bill Stiegel's place in Texas. And I just, just so many people that I met that weekend that have really, you know, come to be my, some of my best friends in the reptile community. And you were talking about it earlier, Eric, it's like we're one big dysfunctional family and, you know, I just think right. back to the fact that because you guys started Northeast Carpet Fest, there was a Southern Carpet Fest. And because there was a Southern Carpet Fest, it got me interested in wanting to go to a Southeast Carpet Fest. And then that led to my tour of Carpet Fest last year. And a lot of the people that I've met along the way and 
the animals I've now gotten involved in and learned about, you know, it all goes back to listening to NPR and going to that first carpet fest. And so I just want to put it out there that for people that are listening, regardless of what part of the country or I guess now what part of the world you live in is, you know, don't sit behind your keyboard all day. <laughs> like every once in a while, <laughs> even if it's outside your comfort zone, just like go to one of these events. It, it's not a show. I'd never been to one before. I don't keep carpets and, Truthfully, I didn't know any of the people there. I mean, that first Carpet Fest, I had never met you guys. I'd listened to you on the radio. I'd never met Bill Stiegel. Mm -hmm. I didn't know Evan before that or, you know, any of those guys in Texas. But because, you know, I wanted to meet people and I wanted to learn about the animals and I wanted to get involved in the community. And it's just a good time. And it's it's a totally different event. A lot of people anticipate that, like, oh, is it going to be like vendors and is it going to be like a show or is it going to be a conference or a symposium? And it's not any of those. It's just like a big party, a big barbecue, a big get together, an opportunity to network and meet people and talk in real life and not everything being online and virtual. And yeah. you don't have to be into carpets. You know, there's people that come that are into tortoises or, you know, or into iguanas. I mean, Ty Park showed up at our carpet fest last year. He doesn't keep carpets. No. So, right. You know, I just think it's a great way to, to network with people and to get out from behind your computer. I think we, you know, some people are the, the keyboard cowboys and and, you know, I think a lot of us just spend way too much time on the computer. And it's mm. a great way to interact with people you never would otherwise. But uh, Carpet Fest is just such a great opportunity to get back in touch with people in the real world. And so I want to thank you guys for starting it all in the first place and give you props for going into another season of NPR this year. But, you know, I feel like I wouldn't be where I am with my collection, with the animals I'm working with, and certainly not with the people that I know and, and really the friendships I've forged if it wasn't for going to some of these events and, and meeting some of these people. So just a, a shout out to you guys for that. Thanks. I Thanks. mean, we have Thanks, to, man. we need to renegotiate my contract because if we keep doing this, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I really got to fight. Uh, for now you sound first. like Phil Stiegel and, uh, Buddy I, Buscemi. what the hell, I, man? You know, maybe. <laughs> God. Uh. <laughs> I think maybe uh, maybe we can get to a, like a twenty or thirty percent raise on your current your current salary Ooh. for co-host. <laughs> nice, but all right, let your people call my people. We'll work it out. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I got it. Yeah, just yeah. just make sure you know what the math is: twenty or thirty percent of zero. Figure that out, and then we'll. Get it. <laughs> yeah, damn. I'll give you, dude. I'll give you. I'll give you fifty percent of zero. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Put that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's your shit and shut up. All right. <laughs> uh, it's so true, man. The Morelia family is, uh, is, is, I don't know, man. It's one of the, you know, I, I've said this a million times, but maybe there's new people listening to the show or whatever. The whole, the whole idea of with Carpet Fest was the whole idea of the Morelia family. And, you know, the very first carpet fest we did, we had more Chondro people there than we did carpet people. You know? <laughs> we got yelled at because they're, they're remember like, this is basic this is basically Chondro Festival. Like, yeah, but you guys haven't done it in a couple of years, so we took it. So yeah, yeah I mean that's and that's, that's how that one went. be told, that's where we got it from. I mean, I was talking to Buddy and he was telling me about these events and I'm like, Well shit, man, why don't we do it for carpet pythons, you know? And at the time it was you know, just meeting new people and, and, and getting together with people that shared the same interest. And here we go. Eight yeah. years later. So. I know. Awesome. Well. 
So it's good stuff, man. Uh, so yeah, Ian's right. If you have a chance to uh, to get out there and get to any of these events, I mean, you have no excuse now. It's worldwide, so you know. And there are several. Um, no matter where you live in the United States, there is yeah. one near you. So definitely check out. There's the Northeast, the Southeast, the Southern, the Northwest, and the Southwest, and then kind of Tinley Park in October. So there is one near you. you to make it out. To- I'm not being biased when I say this, <laughs> but the Northeast, <laughs> yes. that's a hardcore party, man. <laughs> I... <laughs> like, yeah. It I mean, does that go is... to the wee hours, and uh, uh, it's, it, it can get a little out of hand. So <laughs> A little bit. But, but what, the Northwest, they try to kill Nick and all that other shit. So, you know. Yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. <laughs> varying, de- varying degrees of party. Yeah. You know? um, but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, our Carpet Fest, Northeast Carpet Fest, if you are planning on making it out uh, this year, we'll, you know, we'll be in PA, Warminster, PA, and uh, we'll be on um, June 8th. So hopefully, hopefully Dory isn't throwing you out by then, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, I will have, uh, <laughs> got back into good graces at that point. You know, I don't know. Maybe another dash island or something like that. Well, uh, oh no. Oh, smooth no. things out. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? It's not like they take up a whole lot of room. <laughs> small army of dachshund. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not a good idea. So, yeah. all right. God. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm glad that we're back. Um, 2018, 2019, uh, 2018 behind us, 2019 coming up and trying to take it to huh. the next level. So, um, yeah. like I said, next week uh, we got Zach uh, Baez, a uh, mm-hmm. good friend, and he's going to come on and talk to us about his trip to Africa. Um, yep. And uh, all the crazy want, things want, he went through, just, like malaria. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, sitting geez, on the hill with some uh, gorillas. Some, These, the gorillas. Close. Yeah, man. That's the one thing that uh, I did take from 2018. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so uh, excited. You know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life traveling through Australia and seeing all there is to see <laughs> in Australia. I don't need to go anywhere else, you know, I, because I can't go to Papua New Guinea because if you go there, you'll get killed. You might so die. Scratch that off the list. You know, you're you're but, short um, enough. They might just take you. The pygmies might just take you in, and you know, just join I'll them. I'll become like the, uh, the white god yeah. or the white devil. <laughs> it's either the white devil or the guess. white god. Let me guess, white devil, white devil. <laughs> yeah, all I right, don't know. Well. With my gray hair now, it might be a silver fox. I don't know. One there the you other, go. But... It's okay. <laughs> wow. But um, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, if you can, man, it, you know, and that's why I wanted to get Zach on to talk about his trip. I mean, yeah. I'm sure everybody that listens to the show has seen his post around and the pictures that uh, he was out there. But I'm sure there's some crazy adventures and that rhino viper that he found. Holy yeah, shit, dude. man. Um, very, very cool. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you don't even have to travel halfway around the world. I mean, there's plenty of places in the States where you can go and herp and find some cool shit that, yeah, or whatever, you know? Um, but if you have the opportunity, I definitely would take advantage of it and do it. Just do it, man. Just make it happen. Don't buy another snake. Don't buy another, whatever. Just, you know, get a ticket and go to wherever you always wanted to go. Um, 
the way to do it. Uh, okay. So do you want to be... tell them? Do you want to tell them about the other show? I mean, cause they, we should drum up some excitement for it. I'll vomit oh. over here. Yeah. Oh, the other one? You want to tell it the yeah. end? Yeah. Okay. Well, so... Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we have, well, actually, we're working on two people. Um, mm-hmm. One is pretty much lined up is uh, Mark, Mark O'Shea. And I know he's been on from the ground up. Um, but it wouldn't be, I mean, to hear the rough scale story from the man himself. Um, I, I know. <laughs> Owen's going to be all giggly that day, like a schoolgirl. <laughs> oh, my God. This is not going to, it's not going to be okay. I'm going to have to be heavily sedated. It's just. I, dear God. So yeah, that's I'm yeah. yell at Joe for that one. So, uh, so that's yeah, that'll be up. cool. Um, yeah, his new book uh, is out there. If you hadn't got a chance to pick it up and check it out, it's it's the Book of Snakes. It's it's pretty freaking sweet. Um, it's big ass book, man. But uh, yeah, so there's that. Which you know, I it's kind of surreal. Like I was telling you before the show, like I'm messaging him back and forth, and he's just messaging me. I'm like, this is Marco Shea. Like, what the I, hell, I man? can't. I I really can't. Like, <laughs> you know, you're watching you're watching the, the, the channels, and you I, I've watched his several of his specials and stuff like that. And then of course to have him involved with the captive a collection of my favorite snake is just eh, eh, I'm not yeah. going to be able to handle this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to know like, you know, how did they get there? Like, you know, I, oh I, I can't imagine how difficult it was to get there. Like what, you know, I want to hear the, the I want to hear the story story, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, when I keep saying this, but like, you know, there's the story you say, and like people and then know the, of when you travel yeah. to Australia to find crazy shit, and then there's the real story. <laughs> I want the real story. You, you want know? the real story. You want to. You want to. <laughs> yeah. You want to. You want to know how many times he argued with people in the back seat because they didn't stop for snacks. So yeah, I mean, I got you. <laughs> yeah, snacks, man. You know that curbs yeah. the beast in me, man. You, you always do. You know, I, I gotta have, have snacks. snacks. Yeah, that's yeah. Not making <laughs> that like mistake guy- again. I'm like the guy on the Snickers commercial, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> <Have a Snickers. laughs> he's like the mob dude ahead of time. You give him a Snickers bar and he's like, I'll chill out. Oh, like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm good, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's that. And then there's uh, – I'm working on uh, a few guys from Australia um, that nice. uh, that will be really cool because, man, they're really kicking ass down there this season with some, yeah. some crazy shit that they're freaking – I mean – well, hypo gene now and Darwin's and like. Dude, also, we're not. We crushing it. We, dude, we just started. Like, I mean, how many locks have you observed? Three. Damn, <laughs> you're more than you have more than I do. But, really? Yeah, well, let me put it this I way: carpets sucking this season. No, dude, carpets. I've observed two. Woma, dude, I'm getting Womas this year. She's huge. He won't leave her alone. It's like, yeah, dude, I. I I'm getting Wilma eggs this year. Good ones. God damn it. Nice. Um, and then the other things that I talked to you about this morning that I will not divulge on the radio. Um, right. So, yeah. But carpets, I have like two. Two. 
Yeah, it, I don't know. It's it's a weird weird season for carpets here on the East Coast. I'm thinking. I think it's going to be yeah. one of them. Remember, remember a few years ago we had that. We didn't get much snow. Yes. We didn't get snow yet, and that happened a couple years ago, and it was kind of well, a shitty season for everybody here. I had sleet and 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 freezing rain this morning, and this and that's when I saw the other stuff. So. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I, I. We need more really crappy weather. <laughs> so it's like, come on, yes. come on. <laughs> as much as I don't want it to snow, I think that's what happened. No, to happen I need it to yeah. snow. Give, one thing yeah. is, listen, I will take two or three good snowstorms and then knock it the hell off. Okay, that's all I mm-hmm. want. I want two or three good snowstorms, then leave me the hell alone. Don't do yeah. anything. I'm gonna dump eight inches and then on on Tuesday and then on Thursday drop a foot. Like now you can go to hell. So right. yeah. That's it. Yeah, but that is a anyway. guarantee for carpets to breed is uh snowstorm oh, yeah. coming through. Man, as soon as it starts snowing, it just it's just game on. Um yep. but uh yep. yeah, so I was excited because it looks I have not seen locks, but I gotta be honest, I really wasn't paying attention all that much. Yeah. Um I haven't seen any locks from uh V and and uh, Molly Ringwald. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't really been watching that, so okay. they're kind of high up, and uh, you know. It's oh, from above, above your head. <laughs> you get, okay, <laughs> I got the steps. No, I got it. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, but they're laying together. They're all cozy together and all. And uh, um, know. yeah. So Dude, it's that. my jungles. My jungles haven't been like they've been laying together, but I haven't seen any locks. But um, I saw the first couple coastal locks. But dude, it's like um, with the Womas, she's massive. I haven't seen anything out of the water pythons because I can't catch. So I don't know what they're doing, but they're staying in the hide box together. So eh, oh, we'll see it. I, we'll see. I'm not yeah. really too concerned. Yeah, I still got enough babies from last year. <laughs> I know, okay dude, I don't like, produce any babies. I'm st- I just fed the baby bread lie, and I'm like, crap, your mother and the other female are down for cooling right now. I'm <laughs> more of you. Like, yeah. So. To me, I'm more, I'm more worried. Well, I shouldn't say worried, but I'm more focused on 2020 because in 2020, that's going to be – the carpet year for me, hopefully. Like I said, every I have single, the chance every to produce yeah. every single subspecies um, and some crazy morph, you know, crazy morph projects and shit like that. But uh, and and we're talking like subspecies. We're talking some pure coastal subspecies, maybe some Brisbane's, you know, Rockhamptons, some uh, you Brisbane, know, some you can hook, yeah, all that you can hook, hook, all that locality hook your, shit, hook your boy man. up. All right, yeah, I got you. I should Don't have. Uh, I should have hypos going. I should have hypos. Uh, what? In twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah. I'll have the mail. The mail will be up to size, ready to go. You know who he's going with uh, right away, man. Um, the Atlantic. The Atlantic. Oh. oh. Oh, and oh, my Balin oh. tiger tiger jag. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that will be 2020. All right, all right, all right. That's good because I'm going to go yeah. to Australia in 2019, and then I don't <laughs> want to hear it in 2020 because I got to get my coastal game back up in order because I got to make this right. shift to just pure coastal. So I'll I will fold to you and Rob in 2019, and then leave me alone for 2020. Okay, I'm gonna buy snakes. <laughs> right. There you go. 
Yeah. So yeah, you know, it'd be my first shot of Breadlie, Inlands, Diamonds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, New Guineas, Popwins. Yeah, that was that's all what the locality the shit. And I played with a what? bunch of snakes. Uh, I went over to your house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I played with like the reduced pattern diamonds and shit like that. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, that one, that one is nice, man. He's, he's gorgeous. He's all so set damn up in pretty. his cage. Oh, good. <laughs> he's not cool. in a bin on the floor anymore. That's good. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I had this Only cage and diamond. I didn't have the heat I, I, I didn't have the heat panel hooked up and I'm like well I gotta have the heat panel so I'm like oh I'm gonna take the diamond into the cool room during the night and then in the hot room, <laughs> in during, the the room during the day <laughs> you know and he's in this big ass like Christmas tree tote and I'm like oh this is, I gotta get this going so he's loving life right now so oh, dude but, I uh, redid the uh, rough scale cages I put them in big arboreal cubes with shelves they're mad as hell at me they they don't want to eat. They're hiding. They they don't want to deal with me right now. So I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm like, you'll come around. You did last time, you bastard. So yeah, right. yeah. I could have. Uh, I know you. Uh, you might be excited about this too. Is uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, hypo bread lie too. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was gonna cool it with my bread lie project, but then somebody made me like do more because he's evil so now i have a whole project now jackass <laughs> um so yeah. yeah that's that's sort of the uh that's the that's, that's the awesome. plan so all right um i want to give a shout out to mr jeff frederick uh from the hands of jeff uh he is working on our new logo um, <clears throat> a new logo when was the last yeah. time we had a logo update? Like year two? <laughs> Pretty much. We had that goofy logo. We had the goofy we had logo. The current logo. Well, no, we had we had Satch around the microphone for the longest time, and then we got mm-hmm. the new. Then we have the current logo, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it should be cool. I think uh, yeah. whatever he does is going to be awesome, and obviously it is. Well. I'm gonna have to hit him up again for see if he'll do the uh, the northeast the carpet, carpet fest. so we can get well, that well, going. I also do want to if we're gonna have new an M, a new NPR logo. Obviously, I want to have some new NPR merch to throw out there. So uh, we'll let everybody yeah. know about that when that happens. So sure. Now your sure. old NPR shirts are now vintage collectors items. That's You're welcome. True. Right. <laughs> so uh there is a few I think I have like maybe three calendars left. Uh so Damn. if you're looking for one, um hit me up and I'll get one out to you. Uh just send me a message on uh Facebook um and we'll go from there and I'll give you the info. Cool. But uh that's about it. Uh they went quick, man. I was really yeah, kind of like like holy shit. But um, so there we go. Uh, for us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com if you're interested in getting in touch with us. Um, and we're on Facebook, Twitter. Um, uh, I guess we're going to have to go to Instagram with Morelia Python Radio. I don't know, but <laughs> I kind of <laughs> post that stuff on their EB Morelia. Um, and then for me, EBMorelia.com. My email is Eric at EBMorelia.com. And then I am on all of those Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. 
the new website is up. It's still got some tweaking, still some fixture stuff going, but that's pretty much how it's going to be from now. Uh, you can also go to Facebook.com, look up Rogue Reptiles on Facebook, and you can also look on Instagram at McIntyreOJ uh, and follow me on Instagram. Upcoming shows, I got one in February. Uh, that's the Oak Show. I'll get to you guys when the exact date. Um, that's all we have for you tonight. Welcome to a brand new season of Morelia Python Radio. And we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. Yeah, 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 yeah.